you may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden, exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No. Because I'm going to get him. And welcome to this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. We're coming to you live from our radio and television studios right here in beautiful northwest Pennsylvania. Hope everyone had a great Memorial Day weekend, great holiday. Back live in living color. Don't adjust your sets. That's right. We are in color. New thing, right? Uh, we broadcast live every weeknight, Monday through Friday from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Global Star Radio Network. That's our flagship station. We're also simulcast on Blog Talk and YouTube Live. You can see us right there, YouTube. I want to thank everyone, each and everyone, for joining us. Thank you for joining me last night. It was a great program last night. Got a lot of great emails, and thank you so much for everyone, read everyone, and, uh, very thankful for that. Uh, and again, I just hope everyone had a wonderful Memorial Day weekend. You know, we, we talked yesterday about the, um, about how many people really know what Memorial Day is all about. Well, you know, Mark Dice and others will go out and, and they will interview the, the people on the, do the on the street interviews. And of course, you know, you know, it's about a day off. It's about this or it's about that. It's never about the real reason. And we know that you know what the real reason is and what it is so uh glad for that as well now uh folks don't forget we've got two different websites we've got hagman and hagman.com there that's a show information website and also we've got uh, hagmanreport.com as well tonight third hour standeo tomorrow night all three hours paul mcguire with an important update the reason we had to put paul in tomorrow night uh, it's a regular uh, show, uh, call-in night, however, is the uh, urgency with re- urgency behind the 6616 Satanic Temple business going on in Los Angeles. And uh, it's a big deal. I mean, let me tell you, it's a big deal. So uh, we can see now where the covert, the occult, is now coming out into the open. 
and it's coming out in ways that even by standards five years ago, people would not have believed, and very few people are talking about the occult nature of this, and and really what it means, and, and Satanism as a protected religion. And, and, and of course, we've always had Satanism. You know, we, we've always had this worshiping of Satan. But this is being packaged a little differently. It's interesting. Some people say, well, you know, they're atheists, really. Well, no, they're not. They're actually full, full-blown Satanists. So, so the more night, Paul McGuire, hours one, two, and three. Don't forget Paul's book coming out in mid-month, next month, June, that is. Prophecy of the Future of America, 2016-2017. And, and he's going to be uh, putting together a package for Hagman and Hagman listeners. So you're going to want to listen to tomorrow night. Absolutely tune in. Uh, also check out his column, paulmcguire.us. Uh, he wrote over the weekend, extremely important. And then, of course, Thursday we've got Carl Gallops between, uh, from the last two hours. And Friday we've got Steve Quayle and Tom Horn. And then that's going to be a little bit different on Friday. It's going to be, we were talking about, uh, Tom and Nita Horn, their personal story and what's going on with that or what had happened with that and, uh, the things behind that. So that's wrapping up this week, an abbreviated week for some. Uh, here at the Hagman Studios, of course not. Uh, I want to draw your attention before we get started here. For those paying attention to the email kerfluffle, the email situation with, uh, uh, uh Hillary Diane Rodham Clinton, the witch of the West now, of course, uh, and I make reference to that because of Larry Nichols' uh, uh, eyewitness accounts and direct, uh, I should say direct witness accounts about uh, Hillary Diane Rodham Clinton uh, practicing witchcraft essentially once a month at a California church coven if you will. Very interesting. But the uh, news is that uh, four days ago the well, the U.S. Department of State, Cheryl D. Mills, was deposed. They took her videotape deposition. Judicial Watch was the plaintiff in the civil action versus the United States Department of State. Her depositions began. Her deposition began Friday last, 9:25 a.m. and. Um, she had uh, she was represented by a bevy of attorneys, including Elizabeth Shapiro. Seven in total. Yep. And uh, the the videotape deposition, of course, they did not release the video, just the transcript. And and this is a, a common thing in court. In well, court yeah, going to read the hundred page transcript. Yeah, well, we read those transcripts, and there's we're in the process of going through the video or the transcripts themselves, and uh, there is some interesting information here that was disclosed. Now, trust me when I tell you that uh, uh, there will be uh, attempts to uh, uh, attempts to blame this or, or to to mitigate the damages. Uh, with respect to these transcripts, by by blaming uh, or saying, hey, look, other secretaries of state um, prior to Clinton used uh, the private 
email servers. It's it's all a, a distraction. It's it's actually pushing away from what's important here. Uh, some nuggets of information that will probably not be found. And, and they're slow walking this case. The the Justice Department, which is not involved in this particular civil matter, uh, but most of the the Department of State is responding slow. The Justice Department is slow walking this. And some say, well, it's because of the election to avoid the appearance of impropriety or the appearance of, of siding with uh, anyone anyone but Hillary. Well, the bottom line is this is a case that it, it's a criminal case, and it's a matter of treason and sedition potentially. Um, you can bet that the information from the servers are in the hands of numerous countries, numerous people. And, and well, it's a big deal. But many people will downplay this. And, of course, you know, by doing so, they're not going to make... It's just not... It, it, it's unfortunately, it, it, to me, I, I don't see much of a difference. But I, I do want to caution everyone, because I do believe that what we're going to see in, in the very short short term is we're going to see some shenanigans take place uh, before, during, and after the uh, respective conventions. I, I don't think you're going to see... I mean, I, I do believe you're going to see some things take place that uh, are going to be unexpected to most, and that's in, involving the, the key people, whether it be Clinton, Sanders, or Trump. And, and I think the Republicans have a surprise. Don't forget uh, Billy William Crystal. Billy Crystal. I want to say Billy Crystal, but William Crystal, that's with an OL, uh, suggesting some sort of third party insertion here. And you, you got to watch people like this because the bottom line with this is they know what the backroom dealings are. And I do see some shenanigans taking place with respect to uh, the nomination, the bylaws, the rules, and. Um, Setting up, setting up for a fight, and why is this important? Because we, as uh, watchmen, as people, as, as as Americans, and as people of the West, we have a stake in, in these elections to the extent that uh, the man in the Oval Office uh, does have a significant weight. And of course, we're talking about the uh, about a number of things that include, but are not limited to the. Uh, Supreme Court nominations, which will be plentiful and uh, historical under the next administration. And, of course, um, you've got numerous other things taking place. But by the way, Zika, you know, it's being reported here. Um, it's in the United States. Uh, New Jersey, for example, had a you know, top of drudge. Um uh, Dr. Ted Brower had, had got into this virus, microencephalitic uh, children, and, and or neonatal microencephalitis. Um, <coughs> I believe it's called, or the deformation of a of a, of a young child, un, unborn child's head, brain, uh, is the ostensible result of having the virus if you are a pregnant woman, and what what the uh, what the true result is, is you've got some African nations and, and other places sending women out where it's not legal uh, to international waters for abortions as a preventative measure. 
against the uh, baby def- deformations. It's giving a free pass. Behind this, look behind. Look at the bigger picture here. What we're looking at is not the virus. It is a, it's a lie because if you look at the condition that is the, the allegedly the consequence of the Zika virus, then you'll understand uh, where this fits in, and it's really a eugenics-based operation. Um, that really has little to do with the virus itself. And we've got uh, numerous uh, numerous things to get into over the course of tonight's program. So I'm just going to turn it over to Joe and, and take, have him take it where he wants us to take it. we got flooding in Texas. we got uh, news from uh, the Clinton email scandal, as you already touched on. And uh, this Fukushima post from Zero Hedge is something... Uh, it's old, it's a few months back, but it's been overlooked as uh, data's been coming in about the extent of radiation that has continued to be leaking into the Pacific Ocean from Fukushima. And it goes into the details following the 2011 meltdown at the nuclear power plant in Japan. And it talks about the amount of cesium-134 and 137 particles that have been spilled into the ocean and when they will reach the U.S. And I thought this was interesting. Um, this was from about six months ago in the, uh, this article. And the study from this article was in 2014 where the highest levels of radiation in the water in the, in the Pacific Ocean, the samples were taken 1,500 miles west of San Francisco. And this article uh, gets into the quantity of just the two particles of cesium, let alone the other particles, the plutonium and things that they're not reporting. But it talks about how the government has been raising the safe levels. What is the safe level of radiation? And when the radiation will be worst here in the U.S.? And I thought this was very interesting. It says, the reality, however, is that radiation along the West Coast is expected to keep getting worse, according to a 2013 study by the Nason Environmental and Remote Sensing Center in Norway, and that the radiation plume released by Fukushima is likely to hit North American West Coast in force in 2017, with levels peaking in 2018. Most of the radioactive material disaster is likely to stay connected on the western coast through 2026. And they go on to report that levels of cesium-134, which has a two-year half-life, are between 10 and 100 times higher uh, in Japan than those detected in California. But nobody has been challenging the U.S. government's safe radiation limits. And they say this is a cause for concern that animals will continue to die and that the marine life is unsustainable as the changing values underscore the need to more closely monitor contamination levels across the Pacific. Um, Again, that's a Zero Hedge article from the 20th of December of last year Um, back to the Clinton email scandal I don't know if you saw this but in the five hour deposition last week um, you talked about how Cheryl Mills the transcript was was released by Judicial Watch well the lawyers that were there that objected to the questioning about Brian Pagliano when they asked Cheryl Mills was not only state uh Department of State attorneys, but also Justice Department attorneys and Obama administration lawyers were among the seven that objected to the line of questioning about Pagliano, who has emerged in a central figure in the FBI's ongoing criminal probe of Clinton's email practices. 
And interesting is a poll that was on Drudge today. I saw it earlier. 71, I believe it was, 71% of Democrats said to still run, even if she's indicted, that they would still vote for, even if she's indicted, which I found pretty alarming. Uh, 71% is a high number. It appears that they just don't care if she is uh, indicted or not, if she's guilty or not. They want their party in the White House or the continuation of the power. And while we're talking about the State Department, they have issued new travel alerts for this summer for USA travelers into Europe. The State Department on Tuesday warned Americans traveling to Europe about the risk of terror attacks over the summer. A large number of tourists visiting Europe in the summer months will present greater targets for terrorists planning attacks in public locations, especially large events. It pointed out to the central, uh, central, the State Department pointed out two events in particular, the Catholic Church World Youth Day in July in Poland and the European Soccer Championships in France from June 10th to July 10th as the two heaviest potential targets. And France has been under a state of emergency since the Paris attacks in 2015 that left 130 people dead. They said that the country's spy chief told lawmakers that spooks are aware ISIS are planning more attacks and that France is clearly a target. While the head of security and soccer um, championship told NBC it was impossible to make every event 100% free. They are going to implement measures as much as they can to make sure that they do so. Um, you talked about the Zika virus. In Arizona, officials have stemmed a measles outbreak back to an inmate detention facility, an uh, illegal immigrant de- detention facility. There are now 11 confirmed cases in Arizona. Among those infected are four workers at the facility. Um, and the outbreak of measles that began with an inmate at Federal Detention Center for Immigrants in Central Arizona has now grown to 11 confirmed cases. Seven of those infected are inmates. Four are workers in this privately run facility has stopped accepting new detainees or releasing those currently held there. The state and county health officials are there working to stop new transmissions by isolating patents, vaccinating people, detaining detained in the privately run facility, and trying to identify people who are at locations of the four infected workers visited. They're trying to cover all their bases here. The outbreak began when the infected inmate was brought to the facility and spread the disease to a worker who had been vaccinated but caught it anyway. Health officials put out the first warning of the two initial cases last Thursday. They have identified 14 locations in Pinal and Maricopa counties that were that the infectors workers may have exposed other people, including stores, restaurants, a tribal casino uh, in Arizona, as the Department of Health and Human Services continues to work to try to uh, identify those exposed to the outbreak. So even those uh, who are, even though they're pushing vaccinations on people, those who have been vaccinated are still catching this strain of measles. Interesting. And well, this uh, the White House. I don't know if you saw this or not. That the White House, after six months of investigation, has failed to detect any or one single cyber threat to the United States. A white, the White House has been unable to detect a single cybersecurity threat more than six months after issuing a national emergency to deal with the administration identified as growing in immediate danger, according to a new government report. Uh, the renegade in chief 
six months um, after he invoked the emergency powers to block assets of any person caught engaging in malicious cyber-enabled activities, the administration had not identified a single qualifying target, according to the Treasury Department, which had a report that issued no entities or individuals have been designated. After the 2015 directive issued by the White House identifying increasing prevalence and severity of malicious cyber-enabled activities among individuals living outside the U.S., they have not identified a single national uh, threat, localized or otherwise. Hmm. Even though this is the in the article it reports that cyber threats from nations such as Iran, North Korea, and China continue to accelerate and increase. The Treasury Department took no punitive licensing actions, no monetary penalties, and there has been not one designated, uh, again, not one designated cybersecurity threat issued or identified by the White House. No, that's very interesting. Looking at the uh, looking at the geopolitical landscape, I think there's there's an area here that uh, is coming back and and continues to be an, an area of concern, and that's of course Syria. It was reported earlier this month, and and I, you know, you just don't see this being reported very many places. But it was reported in Iran of all places by Iranian TV and, and uh, by press TV. Um, actually, a, a reporter, Patrick Daniel Welsh, uh, told press TV that the United States is going to have to launch a nuclear war against Russia in order to impose what it is trying to achieve in Syria, where the U.S. and its regional allies have been fighting a proxy war against Bashir al-Assad since March of 2001. Now, folks, think about this. March of 2001. That was in the article. Now, okay. At first, I thought, wait a minute, he, they meant 2011, not 2001, or, or, you know, something to that effect. But when you look back at the various government documents and at the events, look, I, I, do, I do suspect from looking at this that the 2001 year is perhaps more than likely accurate. But uh, American writer... Patrick Daniel Welch. Now, you don't have to agree with this guy. Just the fact that he's saying these things, people should take notice. Because I've always contended, and I and I go, go back to go back to Benghazi, go back to uh, right after the Arab Spring. I've always contended that World War Three is not going to be in Iran or over Iran. It's going to be it's going to begin in Syria. And there's reasons for that. Syria right now is the battleground. It's Russia versus the United States. Russia versus China. You want to get the big picture. Here's the big picture. You want to know about Benghazi. You want to know about um, the Arab Spring. You want to know what's going on behind the economic markets of the world and and, and oil pipelines and, and, and the money, the... Middle Eastern geopolitical structure. Here it is right here, folks. Now, U.S. risks nuclear war with Russia over Syria. This according to, and again, Patrick Daniel Welsh. Don't shoot the message or, or messenger over the message, and, and, and but, but pay attention to the message. 
he writes this. If Hillary Clinton gets elected president of the United States, she will do the empire's bidding to push toward war with Russia or China and or China. I'll throw the end in there. Because, folks, here's what's important. Syria holds military, tactical military importance for Russia, the open water port in uh, Tardis, of course, militarily. There are pipelines that need to be spread across Syria. Russian oil getting out, most expedient in that fashion. You've got Chinese technology uh, there in Syria. But Welch told Press TV Thursday, the 5th or 6th of May, this is the beginning of May, that the United States is going to have to launch a nuclear war against Russia in order to oppose what it's been trying to achieve in Syria, where the U.S. and its regional allies have been fighting a proxy war against against Bashar al-Assad since, again, since March of 2001. Go back and look at the documents that, that lay this out. When I say documents, I'm talking about the predictive documents, the war documents, going back to PNAC and, and subsequent to that. But Secretary of State uh, Kerry, Thursday, uh, I'm sorry, Kerry, had said at the beginning of May that the Syrian president better take heed to the consequences of a new U.S. approach if he doesn't accept political transition in the next few months. Now think about this, because this is coming up toward the election. And if if you want to throw in a, a wild card with respect to the election, this is it. The target date for transition, according to John Kerry, U.S. Secretary of State, and who's doing the external bidding of Hillary Rodham Clinton, is when? August 1st. Meaning, they want to saw it out by August 1st. Back when the, when this interview is done, and I'm bringing this forward now because it is so critical. Uh, so now we're coming up to May. This Kerry speaking to this group of reporters at the State Department at the end of April, beginning of May. So now we're coming up to May. So either something happens in these next few months, or they're asking for a very very different uh, track. Meaning what? Because now we're in this, this very sensitive time period here. Assad must go. This is... Did you see? Uh, by all means, this is one of the clearest indications that the U.S. just cannot and will not change its policy against Assad. It, it, it's it. There, there, there will be no negotiation over this. Yet they can negotiate over Iran, the atomic aspect of Iran, uh, the, the atomic uh, uh, the, the stuff that they're doing. Yet. This is a non-negotiable item. Now, why is that? You've got the economic factors, you've got the territorial factors, you've got the power factors, and of course, you've got Obama doing the bidding of his of his backers, and um, they're not going to let this go. Now, now, think about this, because even before this war in Syria, this proxy war in Syria, and even prior to Benghazi, I was writing about this. We were speaking about this. Um. Assad and the Russians. They're not going to go anywhere. They're not going to budge. They're, when we look at Syria, it's a very extremely critical situation. It's at a flashpoint. The Russians are in partnership with the Syrian government, and they are protecting, the Russians are protecting Assad. We are going in under the co- color of, um, of uh, 
advisors and and well, we're going in in in, in a number of ways. Turkey, uh, it's, uh, Michael Snyder is today reporting that Turkey, Turkish military forces have entered Syrian territory. Of course, in Turkey, a member of NATO, and, and this this colors NATO in a whole. This really recolors NATO. But think about this. Since really 2013-ish, now I don't have the exact year, but we're looking at 20, I'll even go back to 2011. We'll just, we'll just leave it at that. I, I know that to be, a, to be a fact. Syria. What's going on in Syria? How many dead? A half a million people dead in Syria. And half of the country's population of 23 million deposed, displaced, I should say, within or beyond their borders. Now think about that for a moment. Half the population of Syria has been displaced either inside Syria or outside of the country's borders, and over a half half a million is being reported some say 470,000, others are saying over 500,000, it depends on which numbers you're going with, are dead. Why? Well, in this case, I agree with those people who are blaming the West and blaming the United States because, and right with this, right with the United States, you've got you've got Israel, the United States, you've got Saudis, you've got all of this this cluster of power who want to depose Assad and they are we collectively are responsible for the deaths of over 500,000 Syrians and we're talking men, women and children now the people you see invading the country in this alien invasion folks don't think for a second these are merely Syrians because they're not some are, but the, the those people who are coming in in the, this alien invasion um, uh, are, are largely men of fighting age, and of course it's infiltration. Now Washington, under the auspices, well, un, by, by Obama, but you have to look deeper than Obama. They've deployed dozens of special forces into eastern the eastern part of Syria, in what claims is an effort to help the local groups fight ISIS. But then you've got on the other side of the country, we're actually fighting or, or supplying ISIS. So we're, 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 we're funding and helping both sides of this conflict. September of last year, Russia, remember what they did. They launched an air offensive against the terrorists who are still causing all sorts of trouble in Syria. Remember that? The Russian campaign was extremely effective at the time against ISIS in Syria in, in some of the, the, the subgroups. And they provided the Assad government an opportunity to kind of refocus and to defeat the foreign-sponsored terrorist onslaught foreign to them, of course, it's there are people. But looking back at this, and, and again, when we look at what we're seeing in the Middle East, you cannot afford to look at, as we started the program with, with the email debacle 
and the videotape transcript or the transcript of Cheryl Mills from the State Department. You cannot look at that as an isolated incident because sure as, as sure as it is the day after Memorial Day, you're going to have people saying, well, this email thing has been overblown and it's all about just a political prosecution. No, it's not. No, it is not. Think about this. It is not. Hillary Diane Rodham Clinton, as Secretary of State, was operating a special campaign that involved Benghazi. Now, that involved or that that broke uh, loose at Benghazi. But that campaign, as I've said in the past, used Syria as the, uh, the base of operation to collect weapons and also to funnel weapons to and from other Arab countries into Turkey and other areas to uh, to shore up the uh, anti-Assad uh, Syrian forces and also to import, trained by Western intelligence import fighters to go against the uh, Free Syrian Army and Assad. But what they were hitting was the roadblock of the Russians. So in in general, we are having, we're fighting a proxy war. It's the United States against Russia. It is Putin against Obama. Now, it's not, and I realize people say, well, they look like friends. You know, they laugh and shake hands. Yeah, well, okay, politics is theater. And that theater is, for the most part, like I talked last night about the the programming in which we are us being subjected to. Folks, this is a big deal because the sparks coming, if this is true, if if Obama is permitted or is instructed to increase the uh, campaign against Assad in Syria before the elections, we could very well see the blowback here in the United States or all across the West, including attacks in the U.K. Because what's what will happen or what they're attempting to do is to create a blowback effect. Remember, problem, reaction, solution. This is the, the problem is being created. Their country is being bombed into oblivion to take out Assad. Russia is shoring up Assad. China has got interest to shore, shore up Assad. The people caught in the middle are, are striking out. We are creating a hatred of the people, by the people, against America, against American policies, and against the West. The blowback will occur in places like the U.K. Watch this summer. There are terror alerts out in the U.K. right now for open-air festivals where they're going to become basically target-rich environments for ISIS and, and, and those Islamic terrorists, ultimately to create this untenable situation where uh, the Vatican through the United Nations and, and such are going to have to step in and say, wait a second, we can't have this, especially this, aside from the sectarian fighting, we cannot have this this religious uh, strife. So we're going to uh, essentially outlaw all of the three major, outlaw the three major religions, monotheistic religions, and make a state religion, that being a global religion. That's what they're going for. And it's so it's much bigger than Cheryl Mills in front of a, a, a video player, a videotape machine. It's much more. It's much less about 
um, Hillary Clinton's graduation and wedding plans and uh, little gripes and whatever in the emails. Or it's not even about the security of the server, yet it is, but it's not, that's not paramount. It's the content of the emails between her and Blumenthal and the knowledge from the beginning that this was not right, but they had to do it off the books of the State Department in order to get the communications going. And that brings me to one more thing about uh, uh, a recent report, Saganella Air Force Base. There was a C-130. Um, well, uh, let me let me walk that back a little bit. There were aerial assets available to the men and at Benghazi that were fighting there, uh, to the extent where it just came out where a target was painted, uh, painted, meaning that well, suggesting that it was either a C-130 or an armed drone that could have could have been. Um, uh, could, could have been activated. I guess what I'm saying is there needed to be a physical absolute no given to the operators of either the C-130 or the, the commanders of the C-130, which would have come, come out of AFRICOM, uh, or the drone, or the drone, which would have come out of AFRICOM, or the C-130 out of Signal Air Force Base. So more is coming out about, but about Benghazi. And, and the fact of the matter is we had this information Back in the days, within days after Benghazi, we reported on it um, through both our website, Northeast Intelligence Network, as well as Canada Free Press. We had this. We were correct. And, of course, it is all on Hillary. So, now, what is that going to do for the elections of 2016? This goes back to what I said earlier. Don't expect the expected. Expect the unexpected. I do believe... That I, I don't. Let me just say this: I don't believe Hillary will spend one day in prison in, in in prison orange. I do believe that it's very possible that she could be indicted. But having said that, you, you've got you've got her uh, uh, co-conspirator in the Oval Office with the power of pardon, and certainly she would uh, become the subject of a pardon. But what would this do? to the rank and file, especially given the Trump factor. And let me just add this. When you're looking at the, 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 the individuals who are behind Trump, they are being accused. You look at any rally where Trump speaks. You look at any political event where Trump is to appear, and his supporters are accused, wrongly so, if you dig deep into the meat of what we're seeing, uh, wrongly so, of, of causing strife. So you've got paid operatives going into Trump rallies and causing riots, not protests, but riots against the police and against the people attending the rallies to cause this trouble before the conventions. So you've got the convergence of the the, the Clinton emails which really aren't about the emails themselves. It's about the contents, which specifically would be Benghazi. You've got the geopolitics at the, the Secretary of State and U.S. White House level uh, with Syria. You've got the economy that's tanking, but everyone says it's fine because unemployment numbers are down. All cresting, going to be cresting during the third quarter 
of this year, which begins when? It begins tomorrow, June 1st, the third quarter. I'm not talking fiscal quarter. I'm talking calendar quarter. And then you've got the, the conventions and the ultimately the election. All to say, is it very possible that the convergence of these events could, could mean something to the effect of, well, we could very well not have an election, or we could certainly have an election that would not look anything like the, uh, the, the primaries, the, um, the run-up to the major election. And yes, that's the bigger picture. Folks, that is, that is the bigger picture. This is the tenuous ground in which we find ourselves, on which we find ourselves. And no one, or very few, are, are you know putting the pieces together. You've got people like uh, William Crystal who are uh, essentially telegraphing, telling, threatening to infuse a candidate, a third-party candidate. He's not given his associations with many NGOs. Uh, don't blow off what he says. You might not like him, or you might not think he's. I mean, but, but the guy, the guy is connected and knows of which he speaks. So I guess what I'm saying to you is do not dismiss the message because of the messenger, and do not dismiss the message at all because it seems too out there. And if you go back and look, uh, I think O'Reilly, and again, again, don't dismiss the message because you don't like the messenger. O'Reilly had uh, a clip recently. I came across my desk. I don't know if it was yesterday or it might have been yesterday, where... Uh, six months ago or a year ago, he was interviewing all these talking heads about a Trump candidacy. It was a year ago. And everyone says, oh, he'll never, ever, ever make it. And we're talking some pretty heavy hitters. Oh, no, no. Never going to be taken seriously. Never going to be on the, on the ballot. And now look at this. Now they're, they're saying that, uh, you know, he is, in fact, the presumptive nominee. So you've got all of this combined in this tapestry, in this rich tapestry of geopolitics. And Carl, Carl Gallops will be talking about this, I'm sure, on Thursday. And you know him, um, I'm sure you know Carl Gallops and, uh, his work as well. So this is all coming together, coalescing, just as others have said in the third quarter of 2016. And you want to stretch it out into 2017 with respect to the economy. That's very possible. But look for all of the danger signs, the red lights, the flashing red lights, the the, the uh, siren noises, the alarm noises to go to start going off here any day now and moving right through. But watch, watch, and watch the racial hatred as well. You've got kids um, who are uh, being prosecuted uh, as adults for writing graffiti. Uh, so-called uh, hate graffiti, trans only, you know, for a bathroom. Of course, that's hate hate graffiti. Now, I'm not I'm not I'm not uh, protecting graffiti. I guess what I'm saying is when you've got you've got the court system uh, right now going after young people who are making uh, who are tagging places with what the courts now are recognizing as anti well as hate speech. And being prosecuted as adults in hate speech, you're seeing now what we've said all along has been coming, and that's the criminalization of thought. There you got it. There you have it. Do you see this report out of California about Planned Parenthood? As California moves to criminalize the undercover filming of Planned Parenthood in a new bill, AB 1671? Yep. This is from the Washington Times. They say, in wake of an undercover investigation into Planned Parenthood's alleged fetal trafficking operation, 
the California state legislator is considering a bill that would criminalize publishing secretly recorded video footage of health care providers. AB 1671, which obviously has been backed by Planned Parenthood, would criminalize the publication of confidential interactions with state-licensed medical personnel, including abortionists and clinical staff, punishable by up to one year in prison and a $10,000 fine per violation. Yeah, look, understand what this is all about. Okay. This is obviously stems back to the uh, Center for Medical Progress's uh, undercover investigation on Planned Parenthood, and they are seeking to implement laws that will pretty much close journalistic abilities off uh, from Planned Parenthood, at least anything that happens inside. Certainly predictable and predicted, but but the, 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 the sad fact is the people will look at this and say, well, and we, we've had, and see, this is, this is important. Uh, Christians, and there are Christian websites out there, it could be some old, wrinkled-up, shriveled prune from some southern state behind a computer, you know, with basically nothing but dust between her ears, typing about, oh, my goodness, how the Center for Medical Progress really, you know, they broke laws. Meanwhile, you're, you're, you're having unborn children butchered inside, but, but, but some idiot's got a problem with the tactics of those people exposing the, the, the genocide, the eugenics, the mass slaughter. And, and, and I mean this, okay, because these people, people like that are sick and to listen. use Christianity. Hang on, I'm on, I'm on a bender here, okay, right. a mental bender. Okay, because they're sick. And if you're one of those Christians, I, I'm sorry, but I, I got a real problem with that. Um, if you're one of the Christians who will, who would, who would much rather be an accuser of those people who are going out and, and identifying and providing proof to the public of a crime, of mass, of mass murder taking place inside the halls, inside the walls of Planned Parenthood, and you're, and you're, issue is with the Center for Medical Progress, then you, to me, is, as far as I am concerned, you're a sick individual. Not only sick, you're perverse, and you're mentally incapable of any type of rational thought that would. I, I, I just I don't I don't understand it. it, it you know I I, I I guess maybe that's that's it. I just don't understand it. And, and you know, it's kind of interesting today because I and I bring this up because. Uh, I'm working. I, I got contacted today by a law enforcement agency. Uh, a case I began working on, a murder case I get, began working on in 1988. Think about that. 1988. How many years is that? 30 years. Roughly. Uh, 28 years. That file's never, mo- never moved off my desk in 28 years. And, um, after 28 years, there's some movement. Why does that bring that up? And I'm so glad that we've got dedicated law enforcement professionals out there who, who one person was killed on, on a steamy summer night in 1978. That's when the murder took place. I got the case in 1988. 
And I remember meeting with the parents of, of the murdered man. It just it came to me today. Although I never, I mean, I had never moved the, the file, the court, or the, uh, not the whole file, just the skeletal file off my desk as a reminder that I made a promise to the father who's now dead, the mom who's now passed away as well, that we would assist the police in all we could to, to, to find the murderer. And the thing is, we know who it is. We know who it is. But there's a difference between evidence and proof. There's a difference between knowing and proving. But you know, somebody goes in and gets a videotape admission of the individual who did the, the murder. And, and maybe, oh, I don't know, maybe didn't ask permission to record the audio. Of course, you couldn't use that in a court of law. But wouldn't that, would that not maybe advance the case a little bit? Or if that person discussed techniques, I guess that's the most important thing, or where the murder weapon is buried or whatever. Maybe the uh, maybe the tape itself can't be used in the court of law, but the information certainly can. It can be used to advance the investigation. It's one person. 38 years after the murder, 28 years after my promise to a to a to a mother and father and I can just see a Christian saying well you can't you know you got to play by these rules and this is what to me this is what Christianity has turned into today it's no longer about justice it's about legalism it's no longer about what's right and wrong. It's about making sure that your point is said much louder than someone else's. So expect this to be the norm. Expect the, expect Christians to jump on this thing because it's, it's right. And I'm not talking about our listeners, at least not the genuine listeners. I'm talking about the people who are, uh, who are so self-engaged and so self-righteous that they've taken up their the mantle of being the accuser of the brethren it saddens me and sickens me the whole story about about how, how center, the Center for Medical Progress is being being vilified and those people sticking up for the Center for American Progress are being vilified as well. That just sickens me and saddens me because I know there's many Christians out there, Will, who are going to join that bandwagon. Thanks for letting me get that off my heart and my chest, ladies and gentlemen. But I'm going to tell you something. It's um, 
this is happening. It's happening today, and it's going to only get worse. And you might as well buckle in and expect it. And you're going to be made or told to enjoy it because this is. These are, these are holier than thou, Christians, and and, and they go by the rule books. Got to go by the rule books. Got to, got to. Never mind. Don't worry about the four thousand dead babies. Don't worry about that. God will take care of that. You just you just go and make sure you don't break any seemingly or you, that you don't violate any anything that perhaps could be even construed as legalistic violations. Are, are you serious? So you go ahead and focus on you go ahead and focus on Center for Medical Progress. You go ahead and focus on their dirty deeds. You go ahead and focus on on the, what such bad people they are, and and forget about the the blood that's flowing out of the doors of Planned Parenthood and into the streets. And you go ahead and support people like the eugenicists, the, the, the genocide people. Go ahead. I'm sure that'll win you some points. I'm done. Back to this uh, California bill that moves to criminalize undercover filming at Planned Parenthood again, AB 1671. Um, there's a, a couple of interesting opinions on this. You have uh, Planned Parenthood and their affiliates putting up on their websites. This, this is a key improvement that closes a current loophole in privacy laws around illegal videotaping. But several state publishing and broadcasting groups have come out against the bill, even after its language was trimmed to apply only to content involving healthcare providers. Um, a California newspaper consultant, Nikki Moore, wrote to Ms. Gomez warning about the stiff implications for journalism, saying, It exposes the media and individuals alike to criminal penalties for simply pushing the send button on an email, and it ties the hands of California journalists whose job it is to report on issues of public concern. They say it's public concern because half of the funding that goes into Planned Parenthood and their operations are taxpayer provided in their right. And it goes on to say that it seeks to criminalize the exchange of information. And uh, they're exactly right here, but we'll see. Uh, I will. I would doubt that this bill would be passed up. I'm pretty sure that they're going to pass this as all other forms of oppression and laws come against those who are reporting the truth. It would not be, it wouldn't be par for the course if they, if they ditch this. They're going to pass this from everything I can tell. And Planned Parenthood couldn't be reached for comment again a year in jail, $10,000 per violation for filming anything inside of Planned Parenthood or any healthcare provider in California. AB 1671 is the number on that bill. When we come back, we're going to hit news, more news. And Stan Day will be with us in hour number three. Stay with us on this Tuesday edition of the Hagman Hagman Report. This is the Global Star Radio Network. 
you may look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden, exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stain by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stain by Blood. Welcome back to this hour of the Hagman and Hagman Report. Next hour, Stan Deo, but uh, this hour, opening it up with, um, uh, I want you to, to imagine this. I want you to imagine this. Because here is what we are facing. This is actually happening right now, folks, in Venezuela. I hope everyone is paying attention to this. The IMF was predicting that uh, inflation in, in Venezuela is going to hit 720% this year. <laughs> yeah, uh, okay. That's what they're predicting. Now, now let's let's take a look at the real story. Here you are in Venezuela. Now, we received some, some uh, information from someone who's actually living in Venezuela going through this. Right now, the average wage or average pay in Venezuela is 27,000 bolivars. That's their currency. It's about $2,700 a month at the official... 27 on the black market. 2,700 $27. is the See, it's $2,700 a month. Uh, at the official exchange rate of 10 bolivars to the dollar, but, but the, here's, here's the problem. They don't have faith in their currency. They don't have faith in, in, in currency, period. But, uh, even at, even at that rate, what's the better of the fiat currencies? It's the U.S. dollar. So, here's what, here's what I want everyone to imagine that, um, in, uh, we'll say in uh, several months or a few months from now, you go into the grocery store and you want to buy a dozen eggs. You can't. Well, you could, but you can't. Okay. Because here's the problem. There are no eggs. Except at government-run stores, such as 
Merkel, Bicentario. The, the, those are government-run stores and they're supplied. But see, they run out of things really quick. And if, you, if you're not in line the day before, you could walk out empty-handed. And, and there's only a limited amount of food that you can buy in Venezuela. One open source, an open source story, one woman said the last time we had chicken was any meat was in December. Okay. Um, now, according to the economists, the mainstream economists, that the sharp drop in global prices of oil is in part responsible for the mess that Venezuela is in. That's that's the official line. So expect something similar here in America or wherever you are listening to this in the West. Expect something like, well, you know what, it was, uh, it was a cyber attack or some odd thing. You know, it couldn't be prevented. That's going to destroy our currency. So, so you go you go to buy eggs at your local grocery store. Plentiful right now. They won't be. Because what we're seeing happening in Venezuela is a picture of our future. Because it's all about socialism and social programs. It is not about the global, or at least not only about the global price of oil. I understand, we understand, most people understand with with uh, intellects that, that oil, main export of, of Venezuela, has uh, is a factor of the price of oil. However, it's not the only factor, and it's not the prime factor. When you look into it, you have to look at the socialist policies of Venezuela. Look at what, what's taking place. Look at the graft. Look at the bail-ins. Look at the social welfare programs of Venezuelans, and there you will see what the problem is. Because what ha- the problems begin in with socialism when the socialists run out of everyone else's money. That's when the problems start. And in Venezuela, that's exactly what has happened. Now there's a black market, for example. And you said a 720% IMF projected well, this year? Well, yeah, but that's And next BS. year, they're projecting it to be a 1,200%. Right. It's it's only going to get worse. Um, you can go on the black market. If you take your bolivars for dollars and, and the exchange rate is... is about twenty-seven dollars for twenty-seven hundred bolivars. So uh, you're getting twenty-seven bucks. But even on the black market, to buy um, to buy eggs, it's like one hundred and fifty dollars mm-hmm. of U.S. dollars, not of bolivars. So there's a black market with that exists. And so for those people out there who are thinking that that we're going to get by using the black market of fiat of currency that's stashed in your in your uh, mattresses look at venezuela study venezuela or at least listen to us as we study and, and report on venezuela because this is why we say uh, gold and silver have their place and people may respond well they're going to be thrown in the street it's not going to be any good yeah it, at some point that'll happen that doesn't mean it's going to happen during this period. And people people often use that as an excuse 
that Bible verse that, that as an excuse for it. Well, I wouldn't buy gold and silver because it's just going to be thrown in the streets and useless. Okay, I understand that, but generally speaking, most people who say that are the ones who are either have decided not to, or uh, to, to invest and, and protect their their uh, wealth in gold and silver. And believe me, I've got no, there's no reason why I'm saying this. I don't own gold, silver to sell the the, the market. Nothing. I don't. No, no. I'm saying this as a matter of fact, and and to get people in the right course of thought because again here's that corruption of thinking and the perversion of christianity of bible of the bible and and i want to be i may be really clear on this because this is where we run into a lot of disagreement and a lot of problems when when the word of god gets perverted and, and when people profess to be christians and they'll they'll lead off with you know this the, the doctrine. Well, you know it's you know or um, I think you know what I'm saying. Okay, um, that when self preservation takes a back seat, or preservation of not just yourself but your family takes a back seat because well, God will take care of me, or gold and silver has no value. You know, no, it will have value. Just as your your fiat currency will, but yes, there will come a point in time when it won't, when the, it will be thrown in the streets as prophesized, because it will not be any good. Is that moment today? No. Will that be during a recession or the depression or a socialistic meltdown like Venezuela is having? I guarantee you, if you had gold or silver in Venezuela, those people with with that asset. If you look at the tiered structure in Venezuela of people, you will see, folks, you will, you will see that those people that have those assets and who have prepared are in a whole different position. So, do not, and, and here's my issue, don't use Christianity as a crutch for laziness. Don't use Christianity as a crutch for not doing anything, whether it be ensuring your wealth, assuring that your family will be fed in lean times. Just admit the truth that you don't want to or you don't believe it. Okay, you know, but do not say with authority that this is unbiblical because I can guarantee you the mother holding the child in the line since the night before in Venezuela wanting a, just a carton of eggs at a government-run store and walking away empty-handed because they're all sold out because of socialism, of the socialistic policies. Well, you get the idea. But see, the big talkers won't talk about this. The big talkers are all about the positive nature and about how things are going to change when someone else is in the Oval Office. But this is not a change that will be allowed, or this is not a change that's going to be just given uh, or, or be a result of someone new in the Oval Office. This has to come from the bottom up, as I've often said. The change has to come from the bottom up. It has to come up from the people who are thinking about what the Bible is saying and praying about what the Bible is saying and and, and, and understanding what the Bible is saying and applying it to our lives. Because if you yourself, 
as a Christian, as a man, as the head of the family. I don't care if you're a guy or if you're a woman, if, if suddenly you find yourself in a position as a, as a head of your family. And maybe you're a 15-year-old young man. For reasons I don't know, suddenly you are the head of the family. That's a sad state, but maybe that's the case. Then get your act together, understand what's going on in other parts of the world, understand the bigger picture, and please don't use perverted Christianity as the reason for inaction, because that, my friends, I believe, are the people, will be the people in lines, and the people who are going to be asking why God has forsaken them. And and that's just my view, and and maybe that's a very um, harsh view. Maybe that maybe you might think, well, that's just too critical. But but in dangerous times, if I see someone on a path of self destruction, and in my life I, I I see it all the time. It's unfortunate how many people I know who are on paths of self-destruction. If you care about that person, then you intervene. You don't enable that person by perverting Scripture or by saying, well, as a Christian, I, I really it's not my place to judge. Who am I to judge? Because that's not right if there's true agape love. It's my, what I understand that to be. And I, look, I'm not, I'm not a minister, a pastor, a preacher, I'm not any of that. I'm just a, a guy who's an investigator seeing things go to hell in the handbasket really quick. And people are going to get hurt. A lot of people are going to get hurt. And a lot of people are going to get caught in the crossfire when it does happen. And then you got, and, and you know, during this during this whole run up, you've got people who are biting the ankles of those trying to save others. Just saying. So look at look at Venezuela, and look at what's taking place. And if you can buy the commodities, you've got to buy it through a through a government run store, because, well, just because it's Venezuela and it's Bernie Sanders, essentially. It's the way Bernie Sanders, it's that, it's that socialist mindset. And every one of these Bernie Sanders idiots out there holding Bernie signs and wearing Feel the Burn shirts and protesting against Donald Trump people and flipping them off and throwing drinks and garbage at the, at the supporters of Donald Trump. It's that, it is that mentality that is going to be the impetus, the spark for the remainder of the hot summer. And let me tell you something. Let me tell you, okay? I don't care if you... Some people say, well, I don't have the money. I don't have the money for gold. I don't have the money... I get that. I don't either. You think I do? I don't have the money for gold or silver. So you, what you have to do is you have to... you. you do you have the money for a, a, a twenty-seven cent can of peaches, for from the grocery store? Start there. You got the money for a, a some seeds, some seed plants for vegetables. You got the room for a garden. Start there. Don't think about how much time you don't have to do this. Do something. 
Just do something. And, and you'd be surprised what you can do with, with not a whole lot. You can be, you'd be surprised of, of one can of peaches, one can of peas pretty soon turns into ten, which turns into a hundred. And now you got food, maybe, for your family for a couple of weeks to get you through those times where you don't have to, to wait in line. But don't make excuses, and especially don't make excuses on the backs of Christians or at the doctrine of Christianity. Don't do that. This is my two cents. Oh, and, and, and you know, <laughs> you don't have to send me emails saying, hey, you're so angry. I'm not angry. I'm not angry. Well, you know, it, it saddens me. I'm sad, I suppose. I'm sad because people just look at this and... Well, you shouldn't talk like that. Why not? You're going over a cliff, or you're about ready to get hit by a train. You think I'm just going to tap you on the shoulder and say, Hey, you think about it. You want to move? There's a... There was a Clint Eastwood movie. I can't remember with Tyne Daly in it, where... She was standing behind the Laws rocket before uh, before it was going to be fired, and Clint Eastwood yanked her from behind the Laws rocket because of the blowback of the rocket. You know what I'm talking about? They're taking her head right off. I, I picture that in my mind for some reason. That was an old back in the 70s movie, I think. you're going to tap her on the shoulder and say, you better move? I mean, hey, you want to think about moving? No, you grab her and you pull her away from the back end that's going to blow her head off. That's what you do. And the biggest objection I get from people, from emails, are, oh, you, you shouldn't you shouldn't be that forceful. Well, and get your own show. Or get your own website. Or, or, or just go ahead and try the tap on the shoulder business while the, the, the blowback takes the head right off the, the person you care about. See how that works out for you. And, you know, people in Venezuela, they're complaining about waiting in line 12 hours a day just to buy basic necessities. 12 hours or more. Reading some of these uh, first-hand accounts, you have mothers leaving their house at 1 a.m. to 12 hours later, still being 50 to 100 people back in line. Mothers not being able to buy diapers or formula for their their babies. Um, there's a limit on the amount of pasta and rice you can buy. For diapers, you need to have you know your kid's birth certificate and uh, the in order to they have anti hoarding laws in place. Sure, sure. And, and the, again. Think about the supermarket loyalty cards here in America. Now, you might think it's well worth it to have supermarket loyalty cards. And I I have a tendency to agree in theory. I don't know. I'm just trying to think of a Kroger maybe or... or um, I mean, around here you have Tops and Giant Eagle. They give you yeah. gas incentives if you use a card. Or I'm trying to remember what was up in the Adirondacks, up in the north, uh, up in the up in the upstate New York, uh, where the place where Rachel Ray got her start. Anyway, they got loyalty cards. You see, that's a two-edged sword. Now, 
you know you know your appliances, smart appliances can be spying on you. Uh, you know that. And, and people would call people like us crazy saying, oh, they, yeah, but your toaster's your toaster watching you. Huh? I got that a lot. Oh, you mean, you know, like somebody really cares what you're doing. Which is true. It'd be an awful boring, uh, boring, if I was on earth, I mean, you know. Anyway, but see, here's the thing. Your, your purchase is going to be traced by your debit cards and credit cards. And if you've got a credit card with a chip in it, you, data is being collected. Now, is it being, understand this. Is that data being used for any specific purpose at the moment? I don't know the answer to that question, but what I do know is the, the infrastructure is being set up so that data can be used. So if you buy suddenly a hundred pounds of rice, and you've never done this before, okay, but you go to Costco or Sam's or whatever, and all of a sudden you're buying rice by the, you know, 50 pound bags and multiple times. And you're buying, you know, uh, uh lots of food and, and, and you're in, of course, uh, Field and Stream, they give you that loyalty, little loyalty card, you know, 10% off when you buy, you know, your brick of ammo. A profile, you're being profiled, folks. Simple as that, you're being profiled. Now, are, are people actively going through these profiles? No, but when called up, when these profiles are, are called up, certainly they could be. But right now, generally speaking, no, you can fly under the radar because you can still pay cash for the 100 pounds of rice that you buy every other week or whatever it might be. There's still some level of anonymity behind that. The problem is that anonymity is eroding as we are now given cards with chips and we are, we are taking advantage of these loyalty cards because it gives us five cents off on a gallon of gas or it gives us, you know, 10% off our next purchase of, you know, the, the rice or whatever it might be. And, but, but all you get all these good deals online. But it's a surveillance mechanism because you cannot control what you can't see. This is why there's a war in cash. This is why there's a war, um, or this is why there's this push, mentally programmed push toward using loyalty cards. This is why there's a program push not to carry cash in your, in your, in your, in your pocket because, of course, cash is bad. Only drug dealers, and you're gonna, you're gonna see this develop. Only drug dealers are gonna be using cash, or only those people, see, only those people who are engaged in activity. In, 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 Covert nefarious activity. Only those people are going to be using cash. And certainly no one. How many people carry a hundred dollar bill? Drug dealers carry a hundred dollar bills. As a matter of fact, oh, it's so bad that drug dealers roll the hundred dollar bills up and they snort coke through the hundred dollar bills, you see, or fifties. So, and trade, you know, with $100 bills. And then think about what happened to the $500 bill. You know, I mean, folks, you know we used to have a $500 bill, right? Until we didn't. Eric just, Eric's going, huh? 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 <laughs> to hold? You can buy it. At, I, I'm, you can buy them at the, uh, um, the coin shops. Okay, and you tell me, and okay, here's, here's, you tell me now, Eric, who is on the $500 bill? 
Uh, folks, I'll, I'll tell you what. I'm going to go into. How do I go into chat here? On okay, let's see. I'll go into chat on YouTube. All right, who's on the five hundred dollar bill? Um, let's make it fun. No, I think it's too late. Who's on the? We'll just make it for just for fun. Who's on the? Who was on the five hundred dollar bill? We'll see how many people were paying attention in chat. <sighs> okay, you want to have the Jeopardy tune handy? There you go. Or a thousand dollar bill. I'm sorry. Well, there's a five hundred too, but a thousand dollar bill. Oh, the, the, that, those are banknotes between banks. But <laughs> come on, come on. What is everybody? I mean, I everybody, did I miss it? No, don't forget the delay. Is there? Right. Okay, so Eric, who was on the? Who no? Who was on the thousand dollar bill? You got to answer that question now. <laughs> oh come on! Well, we'll see. Okay, while we're looking for that answer, here's the issue: the war on cash. People have people back even in the uh, mid 19th century were were convinced that we did not need the larger denomination bills. Now we don't need any bills because of the convenience of the cards with chips, which can be controlled and every transaction can be monitored and taxed. That's a revenue slash surveillance system. All right, so having said all of that, boy, people are shocked. Cleveland, McKinley, easy, guys, easy, easy. I, I, I think it was McKinley, and then, uh, no, there shouldn't be two. There should be, there should be one 500 and then, then a thousand. And okay. one should say banknote or, uh, uh, it should have different terminology. You should. Oh man. So it was Alexander happens. Hamilton on the thousand. No. What are you into? What, what the graphics are us no, they or have what? Different, they had different series uh, in different years, different types. Who me? <laughs> Probably. No, there were, um, there were, okay, it doesn't, we're going down such a road here unnecessarily. But, but the point of all this is really simple. What we're seeing taking place in Venezuela is going to be happening here in the United States. But right now, given the unemployment, and, and this is a big argument among the people who you might have had a picnic with over over the Memorial Day weekend. Well, things aren't that bad. I mean, look at the depression. There were food lines out uh, out the doors, and and uh, there were people starving and withering on the streets, and you know, the chicken in every pot. Remember that saying and such. Well, okay, if you if you start. To think about this. Yes, we still have homeless. Homeless shelters are at record levels. Go ahead and look at the people who have been foreclosed upon or who cannot afford housing right now and are living. Uh, you got to start factoring the people who are living with others. Uh, just like we are, just like the the unemployment numbers are being severed, uh, manipulated. We're seeing the food numbers or the hung, the people who are hungry in this country being manipulated. 
If we had not, if we did not have the EBT cards, if you had to go, we'll say to a, uh, oh, just to a central location like a DMV office for your EBT cards or for your your food stamp cards, you would see something totally different. You would see lines. You would see the people, the amount of people who are on welfare benefits. This is not to disparage people who are on welfare benefits. I understand. I, I know people myself who are having hard times. I try to help them out. We try to help them out. We get all of this. Okay, we understand this. But what we're saying is um, the push for dependency is what it's all about so you can be controlled because the the only way you can be controlled is by being a dependent of the state and the state is going to make you a dependent whether you want to be or not by cutting off all egresses all exit ways all entryways anyway if you're in the in the in the in the stadium they're going to bar the doors and what they're doing in Scotland and throughout the European Union is a great example of this. They're now assigning a state snooper for every child in Scotland as they compile dossiers on the family life. It says that has chilling implications in the U.S. It says, just imagine that you are a parent and one of your daughters cuts the hair off Barbie dolls belonging to a younger sister. Cue the screaming. But years later... Someone else learns about the Barbie incident during a casual conversation. Well, this is what's happening in Scotland. Um, they have passed a law that uh, a person with a child will have a, a snooper or an older guardian or visitor attached to them without your permission, allowed to gather information about you and your children in secret, run by state agencies and police social services, uh, the soup, snooper does not have to possess a sense of uh, proportion or humor that is essential when addressing the issue of warning children. This synthetic uh, goes on. It says, the government appoints busybody uh, person to open a file on you and your family. So, in Scotland, they passed a law that is going to be enforced starting in August by the new uh, SNP Nicholas Sturgeon and it's the young, it's the Children and Young People Act. It comes into force in August. Uh, it will inevitably be one of those bills uh, that is very Orwellian, the most Orwellian in any country, they say. For children under five, this so-called named person will be their health visitor. For older children, it will be the candidate uh, is their head, their teacher, or um, a related family member. Intelligence gatherers will impose on each and every family by the state they are able to mount perceptions in secret of the families allotted to them there is no right of appeal against their findings there is no automatic right to know what their findings are and there is no way to prevent the judgments from their findings from spreading out across bureaucracy and the public perception interesting before I mean, my wait a second stop right there before my email <laughs> box explodes thank you okay here's I'll give you the answer and you can just search Federal Reserve note, the notes, denominations, years, okay? Really quick, and then you can go back to what you're saying. Um, 1928 series, $500, William McKinley, okay? Uh, $1,000, Grover, Cleveland. And then now the larger series used were really for interbank transfers and such, $5,000 bill. 
James Madison and on the $10,000 Federal Reserve note. Bear in mind, the Federal Reserve note was Salmon, Salmon P. Chase. Okay. Gee, I wonder where that came from. Uh, the, the, um, the date of the series, of 1928 series, ran from, for example, 1928 through, um, I, I think, uh, I'm looking here, 1934 is when they stopped on the 500. Uh, dollar bill and then thousand dollar bill is the same. So, but the five hundred dollar bill in general was um, used for circulation, for general circulation, or allowed for general circulation, but prohibited um, by the Federal Reserve. Go ahead and finish. Well, we're on up. the topic of money. Um, we talked about the changes that are coming to the yes. latest series. But but go ahead and because this is all part of it as well. I mean, you, you was the Harriet Tubman's going to be put yeah. on the twenty. Yeah, and in fact, uh, I lobbied for my picture, but you see how far that got me. No, but before the money... before we go there. Okay. Yes, you're you're gonna, so, you're gonna correct me, right? No. Uh, okay. <laughs> so there's almost 50 million people on food stamps in America. Mm-hmm. This is Eric the Tech, by the way. Can you imagine what's gonna happen if that's lifted? Mm-hmm. And they all of a sudden don't have. Like I can't. It's so well. well insane. Okay, so fifty million people on. That's yeah, about Eric a makes a good point. Six, a sixth of our population, roughly. All right. So, so you've got you've got a sixth of our population. Now think about this, Eric. Don't go away because this is important. Fifty million critters, people. Out of I should 330 say critters. People, people. Million. Out of three. Okay. So what you're saying is that goes away. Then what happens, right? It's gonna be fifty million. Uh, how many? How many of the fifty million do you think is gonna are gonna? We'll say, I'd say at least half. Some take their own. supplemental income. Um, for others, it's every and, and all they of their income. You have those that use the the welfare system to the advantage of themselves, and you have those that use it when needed. Well, okay, those who use it to the advantage of themselves are going to be the first ones out of supplies with no resources or way for them. It'll be like Venezuela instantly. Eric, you, you think so? I mean, 50 if million. If not more than, if, if than they, half that 50 million figure, I'd say more. If they pull the rug out, what's going to happen? I just think it's going to be nuts, especially if you live in like a city like Erie, where a lot of people... I do rely on this. I don't know if it would be bad here as it, as it would be in bigger cities, but, yeah, we have about 108,000 people. I don't know what the statistics are as far as uh, what percentage of the population here uses welfare for all or some of their income. I mean, people just breaking in to steal food, and I can just picture it. And then the in combination with the densely packed cities, Imagine buildings, you know, 10, 20, 30 stories high, full of people. The whole buildings, you know, shut yeah. off from any resources. Those people instantly will be out on the streets looking to survive and coming to a door near you. That's guaranteed. It's pretty sobering, 50 million people in the United States alone. Mm-hmm. You know, people uh, mention this a lot, but it doesn't, I don't think people go through the mental process of how this would play out just if the EBT aspect of things were cut off. 
It would be a nightmare for everybody in this country for a time being. Especially with the mentality most Americans have. When that happens, what will be the what will be the uh, medium of choice? In other words, okay, let's just say the banks say, or the government says, okay, we're done. We're, we're going to bail in, not bail out, but bail in the banks using your money. Um, the Federal Reserve disappears and all their money yeah. instruments with it. So, so okay, so so those people who are who have gold and silver, who have prepared, we'll say, or are they going to see? And how long? Here's the other thing too. You you got to ask yourself: How long uh, would something like this last? How long do you prepare for? You prepare for as long as you can, but. There is no ideal preparedness okay, marker out. Oh, okay, but but I I think that that levels. And if you look at Venezuela, there are still people who are going to beauty shops in Venezuela. Okay, that mm-hmm. there are different levels. Junk's being sold on the street for very cheap. Uh, well, I'm not talking non-food, non. Right, uh, but I mean, I mean, there are still TVs that are being purchased. But you've got you've got these very disparate classes of people. You've got you've got various economies going on at the same time. So th- those people who say, "Well, gold and silver wouldn't be worth crap." Well, well, it would be. I'm sure not. I'm sure at many levels it wouldn't be. But you've got multiple economies going within a country. You're, you, okay. Just as uh, cigarettes or liquor or whatever vice will be a, will be a commodity to trade with, there will be people who who, are, who will be living within the borders of a country, whether you're living in in, in Europe, listening to this program, or in the United States or in Canada, who are going to be trading with something, including gold and silver, and even cash. Cash will still have some intrinsic value, and that's going to be on a black market and going to be written down extremely heavily but right but food is going to food and water is going to be the the big thing among the majority of the people but you're going to have a subset of economies or numerous other economies taking you know going on at the same time so i I don't get why people say well you know these these absolute sayings gold and silver won't be worth anything so i wouldn't you know that's kind of like saying i shouldn't prepare because you've got to. Because what next? Well, what good would a can of food do you? Just one can. Or somebody could take it from you. What good's a gun, gun going to do you? going to kill everybody you see? They're nonsensical statements to me. Am I getting my point across, or am I just muddying the waters even more? No, you're getting your point across. But because people will barter with ammo, people are going to barter with cigarettes, with liquor, with uh, with antibiotics. I mean, anything will become a barterable item. 
so so to just brazenly say, well, hey, you know, Bible said gold and silver is not going to be worth anything. Yeah, at some point, at some point, it's it most certainly is going to be worthless in terms of your survival. But I guess you know, during that course, that rocky period, to get through to the other side, and I'm not talking about the the God's wrath. I'm talking about the the the, the what we see going on in Venezuela here. I'm not talking about you know. Nephilim and, uh, or the, you know, the, you know, the end of days, end, 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 end of days. And people have a tendency to kind of close their minds off because again, it's a lack of preparation or it's the belief and suddenly you, re- you realize, oh, wait a minute, I could be wrong. I might have to kind of survive for a while. But, but don't worry. L- listen to the, the the normal syndicated talk show hosts on, on the AM stations, and everything is fine, and uh, you won't have to worry about anything. So just keep uh, you know keep listening. It'll be fine. Or, or listen to the positive Christian uh, Christian uh, uh, people out there who are just uh, who are just blowing smoke that way, and, and you'll be okay too. Well, whatever 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 gets you through the. Uh, night there in the day and whatever allows you to look yourself in the mirror I suppose right alright and when Stan comes on you know it said water food water first food second a gallon per person per day there and um, yep. Dare to Prepare Holly's book um, is an excellent resource for dealing with uh, preparedness in all aspects and how you can do it by storing food to creating self-sustaining uh, food and and other uh, resources for yourself. This article I wanted to hit, this is from the AP, this has been on Dredge today, as the European Union links up with Twitter and tech firms to combat hate speech. This from Brussels out of the AP. The European Union reached an agreement Tuesday with some of the world's biggest social media firms, including Facebook and Twitter, on ways to combat the spread of hate speech online. Under the terms of a code of conduct, the firms, which include YouTube and Microsoft, have committed to quickly and efficiently tackling illegal hate speech directed against anyone over issues of race, color, religion, dissent or national or other ethnic origin. The site has often been used by terrorist organizations. These sites, they say, have been used by terrorist organizations to relay messages and entice hate against certain individuals or groups. Among the measures agreed with the EU's executive arm, the firms have said they will establish internal procedures and staff training to guarantee that a majority of illegal content is assessed and, when necessary, removed within 24 hours. They also have agreed to strengthen their partnerships with civil society organizations who often flag content that promotes uh, incitement to violence and hateful conduct. The European Commission and the firms have also agreed to support civil society organizations and deliver anti-hate campaigns. Now, this is only a matter of time before this affects us here in the U.S. And remember what is deemed as hate speech by these people sometimes is the truth pertaining to facts, regardless of that truth, they will deem it to be hate speech because it goes against their ideology. I mean, we see that every day in our in, in the news. We see that in the Trump campaign coverage. We see that in the Hillary email scandal. Everybody's truth seems to be different. Hate speech and free speech, uh, unfortunately, 
or fortunately are tied at the hip you you take out you take out uh, you disallow dissenting opinions you disallow mm-hmm. free speech you redefine what hate speech is you become now the total arbiter of, of what's right and wrong and, and what's uh, tolerable and what what isn't you you've now subjected yourself where you've you either have become a tyrant or have subjected yourself to tyranny and i'll say this it is coming to this country before obama leaves office and you can mark my words on this before obama leaves office it will be hate speech to engage in uh, calling Islam the cult that it is. It will be hate speech to call a transgendered person, um, or, or a, uh, that's not even right, uh, a homosexual sodomite, uh, as, as, uh, um, Anything but something like gay. Okay. You get, you get my, you get my drift here. The takedown of the free speech in America is paramount because also the takedown of the Second Amendment. And don't think for one moment that uh, both Obama and, and Hillary Clinton are giving up on the takeout, no. taking down of the Second Amendment. Clinton has outright stated yeah, yep. in, in speeches on the campaign trail that she's against the Second Amendment and has plans to uh, change the the whole Constitution, basically, from from the Fourth Amendment to Second Amendment. Uh, She said that she would work to ban guns in certain areas and and create registries and, and get a stranglehold on the Second Amendment. And I'm paraphrasing from her own words that she used about a month ago. Well, the Second Amendment, contrary to the beliefs of the uh, Fabian Socialists, the Socialists, the Progressives, the Liberals, the Marxists, or just the plain idiots out there, uh, the Second Amendment is not for hunting. It's not for self-defense. It's to arm yourselves to get rid of the tyrannical despots in the, in, 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 that occupy the positions of authority in your country, as delineated by our forefathers, which earned them the designation of terrorists themselves. That's what the Second Amendment is for, and the Second Amendment protects our right to, to free speech. No word am I advocating right now the overthrow of any government or our government. No, I'm just saying what it is for. If you read history and understand history, you know what it's for. So, uh, to, to, to your you know your low intellectual, low information brother-in-law, sister-in-law, and uncle, son, father, mother, brother, you know, two-headed uh, babysitter. I don't know. Tell them. You'll have to educate them on on what the Second and First Amendment really are for. You know, it's uncomfortable. Oh, sometimes it's uncomfortable to hear some things uh, that the first, you know, uh, are said under the guise of the First Amendment. But I certainly will fight to your uh, fight to my death for you to, to to be allowed to say that. And it's interesting because there's a lot of confusing and conflating. Uh, it's interesting to see how a lot of people don't think things through or will say, well, gee whiz, you advocate like targeting or uh, the boycotting target, for example, but they're just exercising their right to do what they want to do. I want people to think about that for a second. Okay, think about think that through. Now, on the surface, it sounds really, it sounds logical, okay? It sounds yeah. logical. It, Until they want to take all, your family or kill you. Well, it, it, it almost, it, 
but it's it's even more subtle and and more dirty than that. It, it's even worse than that because it almost sounds. Wait a minute, you know, boy, you got a point. I tell people to boycott Target because of their bathroom policy. I'm actually advocating censorship in this in a way. Hmm, man, boy, am I am I a am I a Am I being two-faced in a way? No. Think it through. Okay, think it through. Understand the various components of, of that. Please, before you... Because I've gotten emails like that. Boy, you're a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. You're telling people to boycott uh, Target. And I've got... Uh, yes, I am telling you to boycott Target. Yet you say you're for the First Amendment. And you say you're... Do I, do I have to? Do I, I mean, do we do we have to have this discussion? If if you if you just go quietly in a room and think it through, just think the whole process through. You, I'm 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 convinced those people who send me the emails, once it's thought through, you'll you'll understand where your fallacy, where the fallacy exists, or or not, and then you'll send me more emails. Um, this from the intercept appeals court delivers devastating blow to cell phone privacy advocates courts across the countries are grappling with a key question for the information age when law enforcement asks a company for cell phone records to track location data in an investigation is that search under the fourth amendment by a 12 to 3 vote an appellate court judges in Richmond, Virginia on Monday ruled that it is not and therefore does not require a warrant. The Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals upheld what is known as the Third Party Doctrine, a legal theory suggesting that consumers who knowingly and willingly surrender information to third parties therefore have no reasonable expectation of privacy in that information, regardless of how much information there is or how revealing it is. Meaning, you have a computer that uses uh, Microsoft Office, Windows 10, or a phone that you either have a carrier uh, subscription or you buy minutes sending text emails and using it for phone call. They no longer need a warrant in order to go through your real-time information and location tracking. They still need a warrant for um, past emails or past texts. And I know it sounds confusing, but what they're doing here, um, by a 12 to 3 vote again, says that the question for the information age, when is the cell phone records to track location data in an investigation, is that under the Fourth Amendment? They said no. So, basically, and then they expanded on it in the um, by saying that you have no reasonable expectation of privacy when you use a third-party device or company to send that information. So regardless of the mechanism used to share information, whether it's a computer via email or phone via text, your information, you have no expectation of privacy, according to this ruling. And the 5th, 6th, and 11th circuits have reached the same conclusion. And they say it's time for the Supreme Court uh, another Supreme Court precedent to to end uh, these other 
appeal court rulings that they need a universal front against this. I'm looking for the law here. And I remember this when this passed, trying to read this. It was the Electronic Information Act, I believe. Where is it? Electronic Communication Privacy Act, which the House passed, requiring law enforcement to get a warrant to search old emails is still the law. But when it comes to real-time information and location police involvement, they can capture your cell phone information and computer information to find out what you said and where you are without a warrant, before you needed a warrant. Now that you don't need a warrant. The three judges in the minority wrote a strongly worded dissent, which says only time will tell whether our society will prove capable of preserving age-old privacy protections in this increasingly networked era. But one thing is sure, this court's decision today will do nothing to advance that effort. Those from the three judges. And it goes on to say, this is a sign that lower courts are still following this third-party doctrine. Orrin Kerr, a law professor at George Washington University Law School, said to this paper, The Intercept, I think the Fourth Circuit correctly applied Supreme Court law, but that doesn't tell us what the Supreme Court might do. Listen to this statement again. I think the Fourth Circuit correctly applied Supreme Court law, but that doesn't tell us what the Supreme Court might do. Well, this case removes the circuit split, he wrote, when a Supreme Court's consideration of a third-party doctrine issues will probably happen eventually. A staffer, attorney at the American Civil Liberties Union Speech, Privacy, and Technology Project, said he remains hopeful in virtually every one of these cases there have been very strong dissent. That in itself is a very strong message, sends a very strong message to the Supreme Court. He also pointed out that many judges in the majority on these cases have signaled that it may be time for the Supreme Court to revisit the issue, and in several appellate cases, judges have called on Congress to do something about it. And with that, we are at the top of the hour break. When we come back, we'll be joined by Stan Dale. Go to his website, standale.com. On the right-hand side, click on the microphone, the show images page, and follow along with the content Stan's got to talk about. I'm sure he's got a number of interesting things, as he has for the last, well, we've been having him on for a few years. And you can actually pre-order Holly's book. That's right up there at the front on the show images page section for this end of May 2016 on the Hagman and Hagman Report. We'll be right back with Stan Dale on the other side. Stay with us. This is the Global Star Radio Network. Never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden, exposed 
exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond, you may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stain by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stain by Blood. Ladies and gentlemen, to hour number three on this Tuesday edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report, where we are joined each and every Tuesday with uh, Stan Dale. Stan Dale, standale.com. You can go to his website on the right-hand side next to the microphone is the show images page. Uh, go there and click to see what we're going to be talking about today. It's great to have you back, Stan. How was your holiday weekend? Well, we did uh, pause for a bit to, to remember the fallen soldiers and those that served and came back as well from the last major war and then the Korean and Vietnam. And then we got back to work. So Holly's been working on the garden, getting all the things planted, the peas and corn, and, or not corn, the peas and onions and uh, lettuces and tomatoes. How many uh, tomatoes have we got out there today? Sixteen, and we're sitting there kind of drooling, waiting for them to ripen up. <laughs> Great stuff. Sounds like it. Well, what do you want to get into tonight, Stan? Where do you want to start? Well, um, gosh, there are a number of interesting things. Uh, I did get a, a, a an email, in fact, a couple of them from Jeremy Compton down in uh, South Island, New Zealand. He's a friend of ours down there. And years ago, back in 97, I had this dream vision. It was so real. I was walking in it and feeling the temperature and all kinds of stuff. And it was about a place that I'd never been to, never heard of, and didn't find out where it was for a couple of weeks after I woke up until a lady from New Zealand actually walked in to our house to buy a book. And I mentioned it to her if she'd ever heard anything like that in that area of the world, you know, Australia or whatever. And she said, that sounds like Lake Taupo. And uh, what Jeremy had sent me uh, is a rather interesting article written about the, the scientists preparing for a Lake Taupo eruption. Now, that may not excite many people, but that volcano at Caldera is filled with water, Lake Taupo. But underneath it is either the largest or the second largest super volcano on the planet that's still potentially active. I mean, well, it is. It's, it's hot down there. And that's what I saw in the dream vision I had. Now, <clears throat> I think it was about uh, 237, somewhere around like that, 237 A.D., the last time it erupted. Um, it, uh, it caused ash to envelop the planet and create darkness that in the northern hemisphere that the Chinese scientists recorded as three days of darkness. They didn't know why. 
down about three, four, about four rows down, that whole row is about the Lake Taupo Dream Vision and, and potential eruption. <clears throat> now, I saw a number of things in that dream, uh, dream vision, whatever you want to call it, but uh, as I say, you can read about it in the uh, the website links I've got there to the dream vision to Lake Taupo erupting. There are some clues that were given to us by the uh, Kahuna woman, the, the priest woman of the um, Maori Indians in the North Island. And this came uh, by way of another friend of ours, uh, Karen Lister, in North Island, when she had a, a chance to talk to this woman who sought her out, I think, as I recall, to tell her that my dream vision was absolutely correct and that they knew about it in the Maori tradition and uh, prophecies and it was coming soon. And the precursor to that would be something that happens in China with a, to do with a big dam and logs and uh, misappropriation of funds, getting cheaper logs that causes a, a dam tributary feed to collapse and kill a lot of people and stuff like that. So we started watching the news, and uh, so did uh, uh, Karen. Now, we did see uh, an article in 1998, or in fact a couple of them, about some kind of, uh, you know, scandal in China about the Three Gorges Dam and a tributary to it and things like that uh, and substandard logs being used. But it wasn't quite the thing she said that the uh, Mary Kahuna woman was talking about. So we're still waiting for some major disaster like that to happen up there to be the signal before Lake Taupo erupts. Now, it's a very involved uh, thing about Lake Taupo because the natives call it the Taupo Sea, and even though it's isolated from the Pacific, you know, which surrounds New Zealand, they call it the Sea. Now, in the Revelation of John, they do speak in the uh, judgments there that are coming that there will be a burning mountain cast into the sea. Now, in the old days, a burning mountain was a volcano. Simple enough to understand. And there are three volcanoes that are still active. The most active one is Ruapehu, which is on the edge of the caldera of Lake Taupo. Now, I've flown over that when it was uh, in, a, in an alert stage. It said, don't do it. And it was boiling green sulfuric acid, a lake of it on top of the, the crater of Ruapeo at the time. And this is back in 90, 96, 97, somewhere in that, that region, 97, I think it was. Now, <clears throat> if that gets blown up into the air and over into the Pacific Ocean or into uh, Lake or Sea of Taupo itself, uh, that will probably be what the Revelation John was talking about, because that will be huge. Nobody on Earth will miss that event. And it may even fracture the coastline there and, and come into uh, Taupo from, say, the north at near White Island, which is another volcano called the Zipper Volcano, because when it goes off, it's going to open up um, the crevasse and other volcanoes straight down to Lake Taupo in the North Island. My only advice to people living at the moment in, in, in uh, North Island, New Zealand, is that prevailing winds will probably blow the ash to the uh, east and southeast, and probably the clever place to be would be in the northwest of the island up in a safer area. It's a very thin arm that goes up into the Pacific there, if there's any safe place when that happens. <clears throat> Hopefully all the Christian folk will be gone, uh, you know, taken to be with the Lord somewhere to safety at that time. But if not, then that's where you need to be headed. I've uh, even had <clears throat> an email or two from other Christian folk 
Island, who had similar dream visions of big boulders being thrown out of Lake Taupo in a huge eruption. Um, it was very scary. I, I remember the, the dream vision quite well. And I actually walked into a particular motel uh, in New Zealand in the dream. Um, now, understand, I'd never heard of this place. I didn't had never been to New Zealand at the time. And uh, it was a dream that was so real that you think I had pizza and beer or something the night before and gave me bad dreams. But I walked into this hotel. I saw the hotel from the roadside down, looking slightly down because it was lower than the road. And I saw it was next to a lake with sailboats and stuff on it. And I, it was like a Mexican or Spanish-style adobe structure of this uh, motel on the edge of this lake. And as I went into the building, or the motel, I walked straight in and talked to the girl there, or saw the girl at the left in the desk, and turned right down a hallway and went down a couple doors and then opened up a door into a lounge, uh, like a, a, you know, a, a light dinner and meals and, and drinks, opening out onto a, a deck that went out onto the edge of Lake Taupo. And I noticed as I opened it up, I was kind of in the air watching it at that time, uh, elevated above the floor. And I saw the staff and some of the customers sitting up on top of, the, of a bar and on top of tables with their feet pulled up because the water had risen up and they were trying to keep their feet dry. I also noticed that the water was warm and steaming. Now, saying all that, you know, and then waking up, I told Holly about it, and eventually we, we had to go over there to do a lecture in Auckland, and so we hired a car and drove down to this Lake Taupo, which a lady told us is what I'd seen, and sure enough, driving, she, in fact, Holly said to me, stop at the edge of the city. She said, look, it's a small town, but tell me exactly what you saw in the dream, and we'll look and see how close anything here fits to that description. Well, blow me down. We we drove for maybe three or four minutes around the edge of that dead gum lake, and there, right in front of our eyes, was this Spanish-style spread-out, you know, motel on the edge of Lake Taupo. I said, that's it. That's exactly what I saw. Let's go down and see what's inside. So we went down, went in the front door, and over to the left. Sure enough, there was the reception station, you know, and the girl attendant was there. So I went over to her, and I asked her, you know, if we could just have a quick look around. And she said, oh, yeah, sure. I said, what's down this hall? She said, well, that's down there to the bar, you know, Peppers and various other rooms and things. So I turned right, just like in the dream, went down a couple doors, opened it up. Sure enough, there was this bar grill type thing, glassed in, but you could open the doors and go out onto a deck, onto the edge of Lake Taupo. So I came back, and Holly and I, and we talked to the woman at the desk, and we said, um, you know, um, have you ever had any problem with uh, hot water and stuff, you know, coming up or the water from the, the lake being hot? You know, it's funny you should say that because or ask that because last year we, we had a few guests complain down on that part of the that wing over there on the, I think it would be on the U.S. side of the thing. She said they asked us to turn down the heat in their room, and, of course, there wasn't any heat going. It was from the heat underneath in the ground. And uh, she said, on top of that, we had to wear oven mittens, hot oven mittens, to open up our floor safe here in the office because it was hot. We couldn't handle it. And Holly and I just kind of looked at each other and said, hmm, well, that's, that's interesting, yeah. Hmm. Well, look, we'll get back to you. And we left, and we'd uh, rented a little motel up the street there to, you know, off the beach to stay in overnight. So it got dark, and uh, we thought, well, we'll just go down next to that motel, and we'll walk along the beach and, and talk and, and the moonlight. And we 
were down there walking along, and I said, Holly, look at your feet. There's steam coming up around them from the sand. And she said, well, that's probably not a good sign. I said, yeah. And uh, we walked up in the, in the moonlight. We could see steam coming out of the grass in the lawns of people's homes up above the motel there on the side of the street. So we hopped in our car. We paid our bill, just left the cash there in the room, and uh, thank you very much, and, and headed for Auckland that night. We weren't going to stay around because I thought it was going to happen then. And, of course, then at that time I was doing uh, interviews with Art Bell on Coast to Coast, and he called me to do a, an interview there that night uh, from Auckland, which I, I told him about. And I said, look, um, <laughs> I think we've got a problem here. You know, it's it's steaming, and I told him all the story and how I'd seen people die, you know, in the dream vision being blown up and dying. And uh, he was very interested, and of course the audience was. And we we finished the interview and hung up. And uh, a day or so later, I got an email from the New Zealand Department of Tourism asking me never to come back to New Zealand again because it was hurting tourism for talking about it. And I had no idea that people in New Zealand were listening to Art Bell at that time. But um, an FM radio station down there on the rim of Taupo um, befriended us, and I did interviews with them over the next uh, few years at odd times talking about that and what would happen. And as things go, it didn't happen, and so the world went back to sleep. Well, a little bit, actually. It went back to sleep a little bit. In New Zealand, there's a, a government organization called the GNS, the Geophysical Nuclear uh, Services Organization, like our USGS. And uh, Holly and I had visited them there uh, before we uh, you know, took off that night. Uh, we'd visited with them in the daytime and, and talked to them about the potential for eruption and what would cause the thing to erupt. And it was if the, the water evaporated and there was a drought and it lifted the pressure on the lid that held down the caldera, then it might erupt and, you know, crack. And the, the lake would fall into a hot magma bed underneath and cause a phreatic explosion. But that'll never happen. I said, oh, okay, okay. Uh, I said, well, are you monitoring these rivers and stuff for levels and for drought conditions? And uh, do you have any sensors on the bottom of Lake Taupo to see if it's getting hot in various places? No, we can't afford it. We have no budget. And I was astounded at this because, you know, I mean, there's there's areas around there, that, uh, Rotorua, which has hot mud baths and stuff, and it's a very active volcanic uh, area. It, you know, Blind Freddy could see that it's still warm and, and uh, steam coming up. In fact, so much they were thinking about uh, converting the volcanic heat energy to electricity. Anyway, we left, and as I said, things started to quieten down. And a couple of years went by, and we read in the paper where the New Zealand government was going to spend $100 million or so to move the government house a few uh, meters to the east or west for some reason. I don't know what it was, but it was absolutely ridiculous that they would spend that kind of money there and not do anything as a budget to protect the country from what might happen in uh, Lake Taupo and various other volcanoes that were active. Anyway, as it turns out, we found out through another friend there that mysteriously, the government decided to give the GNS services a grant, a huge grant, so much so that they could afford to put in the sensors in the rivers, put in the sensors underneath on the floorbed, uh, and also to rent the German yellow submarine that goes down underneath and films and senses all this stuff. And they did find hot vents, you know, in, this, in the uh, lake floor. So at least that much has happened from my dream vision and sharing it publicly. It may have hurt tourism, and it may yet hurt tourism again, but it got a budget which may save the lives of a lot of people with an early warning system that GNS was able to get or to make uh, 
because of the budget increase and probably because I shamed the government into doing that instead of spending it all on moving government house a few hundred feet to this way or that way. Anyway, that's that, that's it. If you look on our website there, you can see this place it's called Manuel's. And uh, in my, I have both dreams linked on you know, the front uh, picture of the front of Manuel's motel there. Um, I'm probably leaving out a number of salient details, but uh, that that thing, that article that uh, Jeremy sent me just absolutely made the hair in the back of my neck stand out. So I'm now watching, and you can watch with me, news from China about some kind of a scandal, misappropriation of funds or something to do with a, a large dam that collapses or fails, you know, or tributary to the, the great dam there. I don't know where it will be, but that will be the signal if we're here, that Lake Taupo is about to blow its top in a big way. How is that for an opening story? Uh-huh. Very interesting. You got me at the steam coming out. Uh, sorry. Uh, yeah, you, you had me right from the beginning. Well, when That's you look amazing. down around your shoes and steam is curling up and you realize you're cooking slowly, uh, you're, in fact, <laughs> we left that night emergency-wise and we went up to Auckland, you know, we left our money and, and thank you very much note on our, our uh, table there in the room we rented this other motel and left, right, because we expected it to be happening imminently. Anyway, uh, there so later we decided, oh, look, it looks safe. We'll go back down there to that same motel and be sure they got the money and everything. We got in there, and I, it was in the daytime, and I talked to the woman that was, you know, the wife of the owner. And uh, she says, oh, you guys are back. Whew, that's good. I said, why? Didn't you get our money? She said, oh, yeah, we got that. But you left so suddenly. We knew you were doing something with earthquakes or something. Uh, we were all afraid that uh, you found out the Taupo was going to erupt. And so there was a real, you know, groundswell of panic in the neighborhood because of that. <laughs> oh, oh Lord. Anyway, you got to laugh. You got to laugh. Yeah. And, and no, nobody's going to ask you to be their spokesperson for their chamber of commerce, I suspect. Uh, you know, in that area. Wow. That's, well, look, uh, people will come down there, you know, uh, adrenaline junkies. When sure. Ruapeo, which is another volcano that's on the edge of Taupo, when it was erupting, oh gosh, back in 95 to 98, sometime during a period, I forget what uh, year it was, it was erupting, throwing out, you know, uh, hot rocks and everything, doing the real deal. And on the west side of Rupeo, there were nice long slopes covered with snow. And there were idiots skiing down ahead of these burning things falling down just for the joy of it. You know, I mean, so I don't know why it hurt tourism. I mean, the adrenaline junkies would love it. Boy, I don't know. That fits into the realm of here. Hold my beer and watch this to me. I mean, you know, I don't know. That's wow. <laughs> yeah. Right. I guess you saw a couple of days back, probably about, what, five or six, just after our last show, where the Chinese have started um, uh, only threatened that they're probably doing it. They threatened to move uh, submarines armed with nukes into the Pacific uh, to um, stave off American involvement. Or interference, and so when you've got the Chinese putting, you know, the subs out there into those islands that they're building, you know, whole islands which are bases actually to build, um, you know, missiles and to, to build uh, submarines and surface craft. The reason they're doing that is to cut the United States off from Australia in the South Pacific and like our. Pine Gap Communication Center in the center of Australia, a number of other things. Plus, they're going to take us on directly. So I'm I'm concerned to 
see this because the the uh, Hopi prophecies that were given to us by the you know the Shingopopi tribe they do mention the Chinese specifically and the Russians specifically and not specifically some Middle Eastern country that sides with them to invade the United States. So China was going to hit on the West and maybe some of Russia and certainly the Middle East guy was going to come from the Atlantic. So and maybe a Russians as well out of the, the north uh, western pens there. But uh, it, it's it's getting close. It is really getting close when you see the Chinese so openly becoming aggressive toward the United States for things that could hurt a lot. And this is not you know Kim Jong Un or Ol or whatever his name is in, in North Korea. Uh, this is China, and, and they are a clear and present danger to us. So that was worth noting in, in the news. I did put that up there with a link to the article. Um, anyway, that's... Oh, hey, in the last week, I've been, you know, doing part of my work on this lecture I'm going to give over in Colorado Springs in July, and I had discovered something that I, I talked to you about last week and a little bit about the week before, about the pattern that a certain kind of asteroid or meteoroid, whatever you want to call it, but a big rocky thing that hits the Earth, uh, makes when it hits at a very shallow angle and enters into the Earth's surface, goes underneath the surface and travels like through the skin of the mantle and shoves ahead of it up in the surface, kind of a shock wave, a bow shock wave. Uh, like when a submarine is moving or surfacing out of the ocean, if you watch in those videos, as the submarine's nose comes up, it pushes a wall of water ahead of it and it tapers off on the sides. And it's that kind of a pattern that was made um, by, you know, an, uh, the asteroid that I think that uh, caused the um, uh, flood and the destruction of Atlantis there on the east coast, uh, where it hit on the east coast of India. Well, that's really interesting because today we had a Richter, uh, I think it was about a 7.2 earthquake over in uh, the uh, Sandwich Islands, which, you know, if you don't know where that is, it's on the southern tip of South America and slightly east of that. Now, yeah, I've got a link to that on the, onto the, the show images page. Um, let's see here. Let's see. We've got that there. We've got that there. Right. If you click on the printing, you will see uh, in the second row right-hand side, you will see earthquakes that I've shown uh, over the last, oh, about um, 16 years in that region. And they form an interesting pattern. If you look at it, this is like a swath cut through the ocean bed by something impacting it, very big, and I thought I was the only one to have found that, but surprise, surprise, the scientists have found that there is a meteor impact off the southern tip of our, you know, South America there called the Eltanen meteor, or asteroid, whatever you choose to use for the word. But anyway, a big object hit there. It's about, um, oh, let's see, for about 24 miles in diameter, as I recall. And it went straight into the seabed, and then underneath it you can see a pattern, this swath that it cuts is hundreds of miles wide, going off to the east, and then it stopped. Now, if you look on Google Earth for this same spot without all the earthquakes I've put here for today, uh, which are a lot of those white, you know, little circles that are over the top of this rim, you will see what looks like that submarine pushed up the solid, you know, 
sea bottom to form this shock wave from its bow. Well, this was an asteroid or a meteoroid that did the same thing. Now, their their particular uh, category of asteroid, as far as I'm concerned, because most of the ones we've seen, like you know, Behringer Crater over in Arizona, came at a very high angle, not a shallow angle, very high angle, went smack right into the surface, almost vertical, splattered and make a you know a mile or two big uh, crater, uh, and it's almost perfectly round because of the, the vertical impact. Well, that's what we think about a meteor impact looks like, or even the ones that have been illustrated falling into the ocean, they come straight down, bang, splash, you know, heat, shock waves, whatever. But this class of asteroids came at a very shallow angle, and I think perhaps not as fast, uh, I'm not sure how to describe this, but they they gradually decreased their orbit and shoved right into the ocean bottom and shoved the mud ahead of them and the sandstone and everything hundreds of miles to form this leading edge structure. And it's the same thing that I found uh, on the um, the eastern side of the Banda Sea in Indonesia, which is where the meteor that caused the flood and the destruction of Atlantis came to rest underneath there, shoving it up to form this rim. Now, I say came to rest. I've actually been communicating with uh, various uh, uh, research uh, facilities and doctors overseas in, in London and various other places who are experts in this to see if it is possible. Did uh, Can a meteor come, strike underneath, you know, strike the surface and travel underneath the mantle and exit and leave the planet. Now, would that make the same kind of pattern here? So uh, with your listeners who are interested in this kind of thing, you might give some thought to that to see if the patterns that we see on the sea floor, the debris left behind, the little islands and ridges, indicate that it stopped underneath there and just shoved this wall of the surface of the, of the planet to form that rim. Or did it leave and, and that's what it left behind as it took off and left the planet? The reason I'm saying this is that one that caused the flood, and this one here south of Argentina like this, these are not by themselves. I found four other large meteor impacts like this on the planet. One that, that forms a big curve into uh, South America up near the Chile and Peru. Uh, you know, that, that whole convex curve to the coast was caused by a large body out into the Pacific that did the same kind of thing. And there's two of them. Uh, one uh, northeast of Indonesia and one up uh, just south of China in Taiwan area, two at almost right angles to each other that caused a number of other arc-shaped bow shock waves in the surface of the Earth, picturing the sea bottom there, plus another couple of them over in Central America and stuff like that. So these things are a whole class of you know Earth-impacting, grazing, punching-through type asteroids that need to be identified and described by modern science. Uh, it just explains so many things about why the, the Pangea, you know, where all the continents were together, broke up and made some of these arc-type patterns in the way they broke up. It just is so self-explanatory that it needs to be addressed. And you can see the database of large impactors there on the website, on that show images page, and see that the the uh, the El Tannen meteor that made this big swath that I'm talking about, it was only two and a half miles in diameter, but it made a initial impact crater of 37 miles that turned into one that was nearly three or 400 miles as a, a, a bow shockwave before it stopped or left or whatever it did. It's, it's very interesting to see these, especially with the uh, earthquakes, 
around yeah. it because they appear right on the the edges of of this uh, cutout, if you will, from the meteor, mm-hmm. especially yeah. in the where it ends up or poked through the mantle. As you say, Joe, it's all along the edges of where it traveled, and then when it came to rest. Now, now that's that's an interesting point to observe too. Um, that image I've got there, which says uh, meteor bow shock, it's the second row, first image there in blue. And I think that's what you're talking about. It shows the depth of these various quakes over the last 20 years in that area, or last 16 years, I guess it is. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the purple and dark blue things are very deep and then the, the the more shallower green and then to yellow and then to orange which are you know under uh, like uh, 20 miles probably around 18 19 miles depth did that indicate that the thing dived down there you know it, underneath here they dived down and stopped it curled in as it stopped right. and made that deep crevasse and that crescent shape on this right the left side of the impact ring shoving all the other stuff up to make like shallow earthquake material remember these are earthquakes that we're looking at here not you know rocks or anything else this is actual events that happen deep and and then not so deep and then very shallow this might be a clue to what happened to whatever this body was was it was it like a comet there was ice and water and so you know the impact melted it and that's what we're left with was it like Tunguska that you know was this thing that disappeared after it exploded I don't know but anyway this I've left these things up uh, with the uh, location so that people that are interested can go and do some of their own research and try to figure out you know what caused this what's happening there it's really quite extraordinary it is especially on that map. Hmm. say again no, it is very interesting. When you see, I didn't see the colors there at the beginning. So the further in towards the uh, middle of the circle, you have the purples and it, you have the blues outside of that and the greens, which they all, um, get shallower as the depth or as, as it continues to go from left to right. Uh, but on the in, inner part of the circle, and you can even see where the earthquakes curve around the circle on the right hand side, on the left hand side, there is no earthquakes in the middle of that circle. Just on the the outer parts of it, uh, from the top middle to the lower left, but there's, I'd say, 40% of that circle doesn't have an earthquake around it, while the other side is just, I mean, it has them from all depths and and sizes. Well, the interesting thing too, I I, I understand what you're saying, and I see that myself, but remember, this is only like 16 to 20 years worth of earthquakes. And this event would have happened thousands of years ago. If you listen to conventional science, it was millions and hundreds of millions of years ago, but it was a long time ago. So why are we getting earthquakes around there now? Do you see what I'm saying? It, 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 mm-hmm. It's got to be fresher than they're saying. How long, well, um, in, in what you've studied, have you seen any, uh, I mean, how long, how long would it take before these started to die, die out? And it looks like they're, well, I can't say if they're getting shallower because uh, they're just color coded. But um, well, you can go to you can go to USGS. To they they have a page uh, there that you can custom extract data from it, and you can actually animate it so it will show you which ones came first at, at that depth, which is really kind of cool. But uh, that, that might be a way for us to address uh, and answer that problem. Okay. Hmm. 
Hmm. Um, uh, earthquake Kim, that one of your listeners that, that uh, writes to everyone, and she just sent a message in here. She said, uh, you know, uh, what do you think about this event, uh, Lake Risco uh, in southern Argentina, you know, down close to where we're just talking about a whole lake in Patagonia, Chile, disappears overnight, gone. And uh, that is rather unusual, but looking at the area, uh, which I did do on um, uh, Google Earth, I'll tell you what, without Google Earth, I don't think I could talk. <laughs> but anyway, I I did look at that area that she was talking about, and surely the area uh, has a lot of lakes and fracture zones that I don't know whether they were called. I guess they could have been a result of that impactor of El Tannen down south there. But it's only like, um, let's see how many miles, about mm, 400, 500 miles north of the impact zone. And in this kind of game, four or 500 miles is kind of in the neighborhood. It's like nuclear bombs. But um, I suspect what happened was that there was a, a cavity formed underneath that particular lake. And uh, for some reason, other earth changes, earthquakes, whatever, and there have been a number around that lake in the last week, uh, may have fractured that uh, that dome that was empty and could receive the water, and that's probably why it drained overnight. Uh, Kim, they, they may find evidence uh, of the the draining of it uh, somewhere when it uh, dries off enough to get out and look at the lake bottom, and that would tell us where it went, uh, or at least where it exited. Uh, but that area is full of crisscross, full of fault lines. It's it's so busy that it's astounding. There could have even been another meteor impact there. I mean, there are interesting formations around there that are somewhat circular and elliptical that might indicate that. So it's it's a good find in the news, Kim. And I guess we'll kind of keep looking for an answer as time passes. They'll probably tell us what they found there. Thank you for for answering that. Stan, I got a question off the beaten path. There are actually I've got probably half a dozen in total questions since last week to this week about the the same topic, and and that's uh, uh, the Mandela effect. Okay, Um, many people are interested in this, and and so am I in a way. And I'm not I'm not sure exactly why, but the Mandela effect. uh, well, this goes back to Dan Duvall being on our show a while back yeah, talking about the, yeah. the Berenstein Bears, I think it was. One of the, yeah. It's like the main... Yeah. And, and, of course, Stan, we're talking about the the process where people seem to recall an event uh, differently than, as Joe pointed out, Berenstein, the Berenstein Bears. Yeah, there, the, there's a spelling difference, apparently, from the past till now. There's even claims that this uh, Mandela effect is... is gotten into scripture um i haven't well, read up on, on yeah that recent activity but but it's it's it actually derived its name this it goes back into um time where uh it's named after nelson mandela after he's being announced he's yeah he died it should be the bin laden too well well yeah, hey, Mandela's been dead, you know, and he didn't die until 2013. And but people believed, and oh, I read it and I saw it. it it's it's it, it's actually like a confabulation, I suppose, or uh, some sort of memory disturbance. Uh, 
Uh, yeah, look, it's not even that. Look at, um, you know, witnesses to a car wreck or to a hijacking yes. or to, you know, ask 10 witnesses what they saw. And, you know, good luck to the detective trying to sort out what they really saw because each Amen one of them. that. <laughs> you know, yeah. you know that. You know that. Yeah, however, however, in the Mandela effect, with Joe's talking about the the Berenstein Berenstein bears or Stain Berenstein bears Berenstein bears, it, it took me kind of by surprise. You know, I thought uh, the spelling on the Berenstein bears was one way, and of course, you know, I would have sworn to it. But but you, I mean, you're right about eyewitness accounts being totally out there and you know all over the map. It's it's the most unreliable. But when you've got a group of people, is there some sort of mass psychology or mass mass uh what is it? Uh you know You know, I don't know. Um uh, you know the we've talked about lynch mob mentalities and things like that where they all just become an organism, you know, doing hanging whoever they're doing or whatever. Maybe it's that same kind of group um cognizance or uh, extrasensory perception that allows them to, you know, hear screams of somebody saying, "Well, oh look at that!" That's a, and somebody else saying, "Oh, but over here," and all these things affect a person from their perspective of what's happening or what they're trying to, to report. Um, so much so that the, the the sum of all these reports become very subjective to the individual. That they bring their own biases and history and stuff to interpret what they've seen. I don't think it's intentional. I just think it's just the way we are. I've seen it in my life. <laughs> Memories that uh, yeah. I thought were one way. Well, a simple thing for Christians, reading a scripture, you read it, and ten years later you read it again, and whoa, it didn't say what I thought it said. All these years I've been saying blah, 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 and it really said blah, blah, blah. Uh, that's true. Yeah, yes, you know yes. Yep. Yep. And I suppose I could see that where you'd have... Uh, you could all, you, by virtue of one's certainty, you can almost convince others through your certainty um, uh, of something being one way when it's actually another way. I'm not dismissing this effect. I, I'm, I guess I'm trying to explain it. I don't know. Well, this but, effect is something that uh, psychiatrists watch very closely and try to avoid in doing hypnotic regressions of crime scenes or events or, you know, abductions or whatever. The questions have to be structured so that it doesn't give the person under hypnosis any subconscious suggestions about what answer is expected. You know, you right, just gotta, when you're in a hypnotized state, you're more... Um suggestible like you would be yeah. if you're watching TV. Yeah, yeah. So it's a very a very difficult thing to to keep straight, you know, to to avoid when you're interviewing people to try to get to the bottom of an event. And mm, as, as the articles that you'll see on the internet about it say, this Mandela effect is most definitely not an intentional fabrication. It is uh confusion caused by your own interpretation of what you think your eyes and ears and senses told you about that event. You relate it to other things in your memory bank, and that's what colors it. Look at You know, um, tribal groups that say, you know, that the, the gods came down in a, a dragon, a flaming thing. Probably it was some kind of a craft that used uh, propulsion or, you know, gas exhaust or whatever. But that's the only way they could relate it to their their mind was a 
a flame and some kind of a flying dragon or you know big bird or something uh, you have to try to relate what events you observe every day to events that you've experienced before uh, into the fabric of what is your whole psyche uh, it's, it's it's an interesting subject it really is yeah yeah just got an email from a gentleman who said it's um Mandela, it, it, it's a misnomer. I'll just reference this email here for you, for your comment, if, if you so desire. It's based on the spiritual doorways opened by Buddhist monks with circles made of colored sand. Uh, I'll just, I'll just read it and for your commentary. I'm not going to comment on it. Okay, so it's based on the spiritual doors opened by Buddhist monks with circles made of colored sand. People are creating these with new coloring books for adults. Uh, spirits are using this to delude people. Sociologists identify it as mass hysteria, for example. And that, okay, so if you have any comment on that. Well, I don't know that there's, you know, much more to say about it. it it's one aspect of this. Uh, effect that human memory has on observing and reporting events. I mean, if they're using colored sand to do that, certainly I think that's, uh, you know, a dangerous practice. I think hypnotism is pretty pretty dangerous. you got to be very careful not to open the doorway right. to, you know, parallel worlds and whatever in the person's mind. Uh, very if true. I were to ever be hypnotized, I'd want to have two or three people there that I could trust watching the hypnotizers to be sure they don't plant stuff or allow, you know, demonic stuff to take over my mind. You know, it's, it's funny you should mention that, Stan. I, I might have told you this before. I, I actually saw, a, a, I don't know, 20-plus years ago, maybe 30 years ago, um, I actually saw in Las Vegas a, a group of people get, get hypnotized. And, and I thought, there's just no way. I mean, there's... When I when I saw this, I mean, they, they had people barking like dogs, and you know, sixty year old grandmothers, sixty five year old grandmothers. It, it was okay. It was Vegas, all right. So, I mean, in, in, in saying things that you would not, and engaged in some pretty really raunchy, suggestive stuff that, and supposedly when they came out of this, they had no memory of it. So, um. And I thought the whole thing was just staged. I really did. Uh, but I, I, the people there said, no, no, this happens, you know, because I talked to them. No, this, they actually do this from the crowd. This guy does it from the crowd. I mean, is it that easy? Is, that, is it the human mind that fragile um, in terms of hypnotic suggestion? I'm afraid it is. Some no. people are less fragile than others, but um, they have said that... Uh, Statistically, that a small percent of people just cannot be hypnotized, and I don't know what you have to do to be one of those. Uh, certainly, if I'd have known that, I'd have been able to warn people about the 2008 election and not to vote for the guy they did. <laughs> Good one on that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, there was no logical reason for them to vote that way. There really wasn't. Uh, well, no, no. Hmm. <laughs> I was just, I was thinking that through. You have to excuse that 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 lapse. I was thinking that through. Um, yeah. Well, you know, in the MK Ultra mind control experiments, you know, from the uh, 
from the Nazis and such. Uh, touched on that a little bit last night, and and uh, really the uh, the programming. My goodness, the programming of people twinning and, and things like that, of that nature. It's just an amazing subject. Um, I, I don't know. Um, well, I'll tell you what, the, the smart money and the, the left-wing socialist types in this country has been funding TV series and movies out of Hollywood. I mean, look at this current one running, uh, Madam Secretary. I wonder who that's aimed at, trying to get them elected. <laughs> John Kerry? I didn't know. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah really. that's the one, that's the one. Yeah, yeah transgender, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> no, oh, exactly. it's so bad, so bad. It looks uh, like Trump is yeah. defending himself quite well. I saw that uh, in Holly I did today where he addressed the donations issue for the money raised for the veterans associations and whatever. Yeah. And surprisingly, he was very calm in his deliverance of that. Hmm. Did you see it? I did not see it. Yeah, I, I read I about did. it. did. Um, that brings up a lot of questions. Um the demeanor aspect, okay, the behavioral analysis part of, I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, we can go in a number of different directions with that. <laughs> um, what do you think it was um, an act or the the boisterous presentation before in the debates was an act or what? I don't know. Seriously, <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. You know, it's it's. I I don't know. It's a difficult I, subject. I know. Yeah, I know. I, but but you know, Stan. I mean, and I was saying this earlier. And we were saying this. Uh, we've been saying this. That you know, one man. Um, although it's an important position, important job, important uh, function. The true revival of our, of our nation is going to have to come from the bottom up. It's going to have to come from, from us as people, as Christians, as doers, as fathers, as mothers, as, um, you know, I mean, I, I really believe that. Uh, not from the top down, but from the bottom up. And that's where change is going to have to come from. And, uh, uh, you know, nine eleven was like that. It, uh, there was a resurgence of church attendance. Actually, Holly covers that in her new book, but uh, it died away after a while. But you need an event that threatens people individually, you know, right in their own pocketbook or their own life, their own home. Their security uh, is threatened before they start turning back to the good Lord and saying, oh, look, the human uh, efforts are not going to, to protect me or provide income or whatever. Uh, help. And this may be something that happens that triggers a sudden reawakening uh, of the faith in this country. And they'll suddenly realize that all this other stuff that's been happening under the current administration has been a great departure of falling away from the truth and from what we were designed or allowed to be as a Christian witness nation for the Lord. It'll take mm-hmm. something hard like that to get people's attention. Mm-hmm. In thinking about that on the same on the same line, you know, it, it can be used to deceive as well. Um, thinking about like an alien invasion when it's, uh, when there's not really an alien invasion, but, you know. 
Mm. You can be convinced that it is. And, I mean, a, a deception at such a great level. And I think we're primed for that. As a population, we're very primed for for something like that. And, and my, my goodness, I hope, I, I don't know what to say. I mean, what could unite a country, uh, the world, um, uh, or, or the country to, to an, uh, well, that's, another 9-11? I mean, what? Well, I mean... You know, uh, the alien invasion card, I think, will be played as a great deception for uh, the entire planet as a global uh, unifying effort to bring everyone together to overlook their cultural and religious and political and economic biases. But what we're talking about here in America is for as a grassroots um, reawakening and, um, you know, a revival, the last revival before the crunch comes. That will be more of a localized event for the United States, I think. Yeah, I I agree. But any ideas? But what? Any, any thoughts? I mean, mm. yeah. Well, <laughs> with the number of um, illegal, or sorry, uh, was it undocumented uh, immigrants <laughs> that have come from the Middle East through uh, south, you know, the border through Mexico and whatever, and through Canada even. Um, and by aircraft supplied by our government to fly them in. With the number of these and the percentage given as to what percent are terrorists, and with the resources that are available to them here in this country, even if they just lived here, I would say that we're going to see a coordinated um, series of horrible catastrophes, of people dying, which will obviously be due to the work of terrorists. And that kind of a thing uh, will unify or will at least make uh, people reach out and Christians who are backslidden and asleep wake up real quick because they'll realize that the only way that they can get through this is with the help of the good Lord because we cannot physically uh, deal with that many attacks and people, uh, you know, on an Islamic front. So it's going to be a series of um, coordinated perhaps smaller events, maybe not as big as 9-11, maybe it could be, but uh, widespread into small towns, medium towns, big towns, so that no one feels safe. And this will then, of course, I think happen before <clears throat> the elections or before the new president that's the president-elect can take office. I, I really do believe between now and the end of the year, whatever this event or series of events is going to be, it will be a precursor to the declaration of martial law, suspension of change of government, and, you know, uh, initiating the COG uh, contingent of government uh, uh, protocol. All of that between now and the end of the year. It could be economic. Uh, it could be, you know, uh, murderous attacks, uh, whatever. Uh, it will be so serious that everyone will sit down and think very clearly about what it's like to die or where they're going when they die. And this gets their attention, and that's what will precipitate, I think, the resurgence or the revival. Mm. We got something, few, something that great. Wow. Okay. We only got a few minutes, Dan. Do you want to uh, talk about the uh, pre-orders on, on Holly's new book? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm just putting that up now. I hadn't finished putting up the shopping cart for it, but people can click on that uh, picture of her book there. The back page of it shows some of the topics she's addressed in the book. And it'll uh, just open up an email addressed uh, to me, and you can just type in there, look, I'm interested, and uh, I'll get back to you when, you know, we've got the the link.
think, on the shopping cart, which will be in the next couple of days. Uh, the book is going to retail for $33, and uh, we're looking at giving a 15% discount to those who pre-order, uh, especially those, of course, who are listening to, to your show. I'll have that up, and they can they can either wait until I've got it up and push on it, or you know, um, send me an email, and I'll notify them myself when we've got it ready. All right, folks, t- take advantage of that, please. I mean, do yourself a favor. Take advantage of that. Go to standale.com. Please do that. Absolutely. Yeah, the the pre-order price will be $28, and shipping on it will be somewhere around $8. So, I uh, see, 8 and it would be about $36 all up with postage uh, for the pre-order. Um, it's about, ooh, See, 536 pages, that's, um, uh, let's see here, that's about 15% smaller than, uh, you know, the number of pages and weight than the uh, Dare to Prepare book is, so that's how we're estimating what the shipping would be. But we'll gotcha. hold to that. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so the shipping. The pre-order, okay, so the pre-order price, tw- uh, 28 bucks. which yep. to me, it, it, wow, that's a, that's a buy. And, and then in June... It's going to go up to 33. So, folks, please go to standale.com. Prophetic perils. Holly, Holly Dale. I mean, wow. And what a gifted and talented uh, wife you have, writer. How uh, how great yeah, is she? She puts me to shame. She's an English major, and, uh, and I'm just a klutz <laughs> as far as writing. So. <laughs> nah. Nah. Cosmic. Uh, uh, yeah, sorry, Cosmic Conspiracy. I, I stumbled over my words here. And uh, Dare to Prepare, and of course, Not Prophetic Perils. All, all good. It's all good, Stan. Thank you for tonight, brother. I really appreciate you taking your time out tonight and every Tuesday night for coming with us. We really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you guys for doing all the work you're doing for a number of us to try to get messages out to people. Thank you, sir. All right. God bless. Have a great night. Folks, that was Stan Dale, standale.com. And uh, Holly Dale, new book, Black. I can't wait to get my hands on that. Pre-order it now, standale.com. Tomorrow. You get, save, you get savings. Tomorrow, Paul McGuire will be our guest for the whole show. Until then, stay safe. Have a good night. This is the Global Star Radio Network.